Yeah. Our specialty yeah. is making training fun again. Like yeah. a lot of people coming to us, they maybe have never trained or tried training. They tried the machines, the polio machines. Yeah. And they <laughs> really never got into it. But we, we're making training fun again. And even though we're not as specialized as all the like the Czech practitioners. We have a lot of knowledge just by opening up our ears, our hearts and trying shit out. And our expertise is really making it fun, like making people love to go into their body again. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Czech. Today, Paul is talking to brothers Daniel and Victor Gustafsson. Daniel and Victor own and run Primal Health, a family-owned training facility in Halmstad, Sweden, with a passion for holistic health. Their goal is to guide people to a deeper self-connection through movement, inner work, and diet. Paul, Daniel, and Victor are talking about gyms of the future and the state of the gym industry today. A big thank you to our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Paleo Valley and Organifi, our podcast sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures, and our preferred product sponsor, Peak Life. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products they produce. Please check the show notes for links and details at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D. Today, we have a unique topic, Gyms of the Future, with Victor and Daniel Gustafson, who are referred to me by Ganilla and Madeline Bloomberg. If you're not familiar with who Ganilla and Madeline Bloomberg are, the Bloomberg family owns Aleco Barbell Company, which, in my opinion, makes the best weightlifting equipment in the world. And I have lots of it to enjoy every day in my gym and it adds a lot of value to my life. And the key thing is, is they're not easily impressed people. So when they reached out to me to share about Victor and Daniel's gym and how amazing it was, I was very interested because I know Ganilla's <laughs> got a lot of gym experience and so does Madeline. And so they told me all about Victor and Daniel's facility and just how amazing these guys were and, and that they are interested in my approach to holistic health and living well. And so I thought I'd invite them to share a podcast and talk about the gyms of the future and the state of the gym industry and the education in the industry and talk about what they've done uniquely with their facility. So welcome, Victor and Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Honored. Yes, my Very pleasure honored. too. And, a little um, bit freaked out, maybe. What's that? <laughs> no, just a little bit freaked out as well, maybe. Ah, nothing to be freaked nah, out, man. Nah. Share the love, I'm baby. I'm loosening it up. I'm yeah, loosening yeah. Up. <laughs> I know yeah, if, if yeah. you're not used to being on a podcast, it's kind of maybe unnerving, but, you know, it's just... Pros and back air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. nah, this is going to be really fun. Really fun. Yeah, no, we'll just have fun. So uh, why don't you uh, share an overview of your, your guys' background and what led you to being gym owners? I think it's important for the audience to kind of get a sense of who you guys are and what makes you tick. So I'm Victor. This is my brother, Daniel. Right on. Big yeah. brother. Yeah, <laughs> big one. Uh, so um, when it comes to um, our passion for training, it all started maybe 15 years ago when we uh, started to train Thai boxing. We did the martial arts for more than 10 years, competing and uh, really trained our asses off. 
we loved the the kind of training you do with uh, Thai boxing, the disciplinary things, uh, and just the whole fighting experience when you're really challenging yourself spiritually, mentally, physically. Uh, but it was no way close to holistic uh, like we try to keep it today. So that's where it all started. From there, we explored training in all different areas. And then one day, uh, Daniel called me and he's like, I've heard about fasting. You need to fast with me. <laughs> so that was like our, our first road into something else when it comes to health, uh, except uh, from training. And if I remember right, we had a little, uh, we, we actually we almost had a little bit of a falling out. Yeah. Because, because had... he lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said he did. I, 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 I think I can't remember exactly how it started. It was through one of Joe Rogan's episodes. They were talking about fasting or a guy who was talking about fasting and just explaining how good he felt, how clear he felt. And that just made no sense in my head since <laughs> what we've been taught as children. So I, I did, I did uh, the thing you should do and actually tried it. So I did a three-day water fast. And uh, my mind was blown. I felt tricked by the world. That that was my beginning into the rabbit hole of holistic health. And my ego was way too big <laughs> to really g even try it. Yeah. Like, uh, I just got mad at you. Like, ah, oh, this is one more thing you want me to try. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, that, was, that was it. That was it. But that was the thing. Like, I, I tried fasting and the, the same thing was reported from me i felt clear for the first time like i didn't feel hunger i felt hungry all the fucking time <laughs> i could train without even eating and uh, from there we just our, our hunger for knowledge when it came to health just expanded and went so big we started to listening to like ben greenfield and about biohacking and all that and that's when i came in contact yeah. with you yeah I've been uh, like following you for uh, such a long time now. Uh, you, for you forgot one thing. After Victor did the three-day fast, he quit his job, oh, yeah. moved home to Hamsta. He was living in Gothenburg. And we just felt we needed to do something with this. We didn't really know what, but, but something has to be done. Well, that's, to work with this. that's <laughs> quite powerful for three days. It revolutionized your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it, it Absolutely. actually like created a good bond between us. Yeah, like we, we actually realized like, what the fuck are we doing with our lives? Are we supposed to just live in different spaces doing shit we don't like? So it really expanded our minds that, yeah, it might be something bigger out there. Like, why don't just yeah. try something different? Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. It also, you know, it, it very much is in line with my principle, less is more. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of people today in the world are so caught in this attempt to fill the emptiness of their soul with food and, and clothing and phones and video games and just endless stuff that it's really part of the disease that has our whole world and is destroying the planet, unfortunately. I think fasting... You know, and I, I know when I fast, my body really loves it. I feel like I'm healing from the inside and that it gives your glands and your organs a rest and your body a chance to clean itself and your immune system a chance to get rid of all the stuff that has that it's been overwhelmed by. 
I'm not somebody that runs up and says, I can't wait to fast again <laughs> because I used to be a fighter too. And I, you know, my walking around weight was 166 and I fought at 147. So I had to take three months to taper down because if I even looked at food, I would gain weight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I think I was probably about 7% body fat most of the time. And so there wasn't much to take off of me. So it was very psychologically hard. And I, you know, had to do that for quite a long time and over span of years. And so, you know, for me, fasting just reminds me of starving to death as a fighter all the time. And <laughs> I used to... Traumatic experience. <laughs> yeah, I used to... That's actually a little bit the same for me. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't really, like, enjoy doing it, yeah. even though it's pretty nice sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. The, it's the disciplinary and the spiritual thing about it. Just being being left alone with yourself, not putting anything in there to tamper with the feelings of what's really going on inside of you. That that was definitely like a start off from building our relationship to the better, but also me quitting my job, moving back home. And from there, we just, I was working as a greenkeeper at a golf course. Daniel was working in a family business with mom and dad in the golf, uh, uh, golf shop. And from there, we just, while I was working, I was listening to eight hours podcasts every day. And you, you were in my ears pretty much all the fucking time. (laughs) So so I've, I've heard your voice quite a lot. (laughs) I hope you've recovered. Yeah, (laughs) I'm still, still working on it, but uh, (laughs) yeah, you know, uh, I, I personally find fasting while I'm using mushrooms is, is a much nicer way to go about it just because the Mm. i find that the mushrooms uh, actually take the body naturally into fasting mode you you like quit eating but you like microdosing mushrooms or (laughs) how do you go i i macrodose (laughs) (laughs) of course yes (laughs) no but i've been yeah i've been experimenting some but uh yeah i just powerful I just find that it's it's a nice combination because you know I'm I'm using mushrooms for spiritual developmental purposes and and psychological research and spiritual research but I find that the mushrooms work better when there's nothing else around and then when you're fasting it it lets you empty out so you don't have the spirit of foods or animals in your body Mm. because every every plant and every animal has its own soul field its own you know using rupert sheldrake's terminology morphogenic field which is really the entelechy or the guiding intelligence of each thing we eat so if you eat beef and you're on a plant medicine ceremony of any kind you still have the dna of the beef in you which acts as a cosmic antenna so you're constantly connected to the psyche of the of the animal. And so to get yourself clear so that the psychedelic medicines can actually open your unconscious up and you can be present with what's in you versus what is in the animal. For example, if you take a psychedelic medicine and eat red meat, you're likely to relive the death of the animal. If you have a decent dose in you, you'll go through the whole experience of the fear and the anxiety and and all the trauma that is carried in the soul of that animal because it's imprinted right into the water 
which is imprinted into the meat. And then you got the DNA of the animal. So you're connecting to the psychic energy of the entire species. So the mushrooms themselves have this effect, I find, of making me not hungry at all. And so it's very easy to not only get the benefits of the mental, emotional clarity and healing and, and awakening to and realization of what's trapped inside of us, not only personally, but in our family and our genetics, in our uh, collective unconscious, the, you know, the, the more you heal yourself, the more you find yourself engaging the issues of humanity and the world. And point being is if you have a bunch of other stuff in your body while you're doing that, you, you don't really know what you're dealing with. Is it me? Is it, it the cow that I ate, the chicken that I eat? Or is it the, you know, is it the, uh, just imagine the kids stand like eating fucking plastic and shit, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like having a really bad diet and mm -hmm. going on those. So That's how long do you trouble. usually fast before you do an experience? I basically, what I do is I eat light the night before. So I might eat, you know, fish or salad or even sometimes vegetarian. And then the next morning I start the ceremony and then I just go all the way through the day. And then I just, if I'm hungry, I'll eat, you know, once the medicine wears off, then I'll eat usually a light meal. So I normally just do like a day fast, but, uh, have you, exper have you experimented with longer to see if it's a difference, like a three or a five or a seven? No, I've never had the desire to, to go longer. Oh. I kind of have an internal sense of my own body and I keep it very clean and healthy. So I'm not someone that needs to fast for health reasons. And I spend plenty of my life in meditation and doing things like Tai Chi and a lot of other practices. So I don't really have a, a backlog of stuff that I think I need to work through. And um, if I felt like I needed to fast for, for a reason other than what I do, occasionally I've done day fast where I just take a whole day off for 24 hours and just let my body reset. I'm not one to, to run up and say, let me see if I can uh, go for three or four or five days without food, just because, it, you know, as I said, from all my martial arts and, and boxing, mostly boxing, I just have such a disdain for being hungry all the time and it doesn't turn me on at all. So I, I think of all the, <laughs> I get it. Of, of the million ways we can grow spiritually, each of us has to kind of choose what works for us. And and I've suggested and, and prescribed three-day fast for people, but mostly they're sick people that are coming to see me, people with can cancer or some kind of serious health problem. Parasite infections is a, a one that I commonly use fast for because, you know, there's probably about a thousand parasites out there and they only test for, most companies only test for about 150 and the tests aren't even that accurate. So quite often I've had cases where people weren't responding to standard parasite protocols and even though we've tested, they've often come up negative on tests, sometimes after three or four tests. So when you're in a situation like that, the best thing to do is just starve the parasites out. And so a three-day fast is enough because most parasites turn over very quickly in the body. Most of them have a life cycle of around two weeks. Some of them go all the way up to six weeks, but a lot of them are only about two weeks, which is why you see, for example, people take anti-parasite herbs. Then they'll start feeling better. Then a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, they feel shitty again. And that's because the parasites have buried their eggs 
in their target organ, be it the mucous membrane of the small intestine, the stomach, the liver, the gallbladder, the kidneys, even the brain. And then once the, per her once the parasites that are alive get killed by the herbs, the ones that, have, that start hatching come out, and all of a sudden it's like they got a, a, another infection. And so the, the problem is, is that the parasites learn to adapt to almost anything you throw at them. What first kills them then just becomes food for them. And so when I, wh why I'm sharing this is because if you get to a point where you have to figure out how to get rid of these things, the best thing to do is starve them out. And then you can find out what the life cycle is. Because let's say you do a three-day fast and it knocks them down quite a bit, but all of a sudden they come back. And your next round is three weeks later, all of a sudden you have another round. Then I can say, okay, I know you've got a parasite that lives on a three-week cycle. So now I can go look through my manuals full of parasites and say, I'm looking for parasites that live three weeks. Then I can look at the symptom profile for each of those parasites and say, okay, this one looks just like Mrs. Jones here. Then I can go look for specific herbs or drugs that will kill that parasite. Point being is that there, I use fasting for patients for very specific reasons, but uh, you know, fasting, as you know, has such a broad scope of applications from spiritual development to healing, uh, to detoxification, <laughs> to discipline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and actually, community in our in our uh, sense, we do it a lot together, and that that is a powerful community builder or family builder. That has been uh, really interesting to do, do the whole family. Yeah, well, that's that's good. I mean, if if it if a little starvation brings you together, then go for 100%. it. Sounds fucked up. It sounds fucked up. Yeah, try yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it makes <laughs> it, it it makes Christmas dinner a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you save a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so. What a great introduction. It's lovely to see how passionate you guys are about these things. And, and we both seem to come from a martial arts and, uh, for me, boxing as well background and kickboxing, which I did plenty of. And that is a great discipline builder. But, you know, I think it's far better to do it holistically. So now that you know, I'm sure if you were to go back to it, your whole approach would be different. Yeah, yeah, that's actually what we're like thinking about as well, yeah. because that's something I've never really figured out during my fighting career. Like uh, my mindset was way off. I didn't really have the, like I said, the holistic approach. But the preparation was crazy yeah. as well. No, no strategy that was good. <laughs> yeah. No, we did like we, we were fasting for a whole day to cut weight and then you ate like a pizza right before the fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good idea. <laughs> it was that. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't even yeah. think about like this is a bad idea. No, and you sit in a cold hallway <laughs> and then you do like mitt work right before you go into the ring. You're totally exhausted. <laughs> yeah. No, it was uh, weird. Weird. Yeah. And you're trying to like uh, not even show people that you're scared. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm yeah. not scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's the nature of the young man trying to figure out where the warrior lives inside of him. You know, who's well, that was a powerful trip. You, you know, powerful. who's uh, quite big into following my teachings and using it in their fight training is uh, Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. And uh, I've spent time with him and his trainer, Tim, and, and their 
their wives and uh, they've come and visited me and stack rocks and hung out. I've had them on the podcast and uh, they recently reached out to me, said they want to come see me. They call me Uncle Paul. So they said, we want to come see you again, <laughs> Uncle Paul. I said, all right. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, those, say that. <laughs> those are those are a couple of badass dudes right there. They're full on, you know. Sean and Tim, man, they're they study a lot, and they're really, you know, really committed to doing it right, which is a great example for others. And it's lovely to see you guys also committing yourself to helping other people. So, um, what? Why do you guys feel gyms are so important? You've obviously devoted a lot of your time, energy, money, and resources into creating a gym. You know, when you look at the issues of the world today and, and the state of people, um, you know, why is a gym important to you and why do you think gyms are important in general? The most important thing with our gym is that it's not a regular gym because for me, like wh when I looked up gyms before, I looked for certain things like, oh, I need a place with a sauna. I need <laughs> a place where I can find a lot of weight so I can do my deadlifts. Mm -hmm. So gyms are good in the way that uh, it actually helps you to try out equipment that you can't really have in your small apartment. And you can maybe find some some way of community and stuff like that. But our gym is more about the community part and um, about things that will actually help you recover. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of recovery things going on in here. We have the cold plunge, we have the sauna. Of course, we have the gym, but the gym is no way near the, co the commercial gyms. We have no machines. We only have like functional training areas. Uh, we also have things that will help people recover like light therapy mm. and cryo chambers no and, good uh, um yeah and i would say mo most most of our members probably don't call this a gym it's more the their second home or their first home they spend a lot of time here many people are here two three four five hours a day so it's hard to call this a gym as victor said we are trying to find a word for what this is we also have the restaurant and the yeah. and all that so so we 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 do cook food here and we serve it here yeah. and we also sell it so you can bring it home. We have products that we make ourselves. So going back to your book, how to eat, move and, and, and be healthy. We try to incorporate all these things in here and also make a good atmosphere atmospheres. It, it feels really, really like a home where you can do your work in practice. You can do your workout practice and you can also feed yourself and recover and recover. Yeah. That's a gorgeous concept. It's nice that you, you know, because, you know, most gyms just have nothing but shit to eat. And that's all they sell is a bunch of shit, which is kind of a paradox, isn't it? You know, you, you go to a place <laughs> where you're supposed to go get healthy and you're drinking Gatorade, Red Bull, Monster, eating uh, packaged crap out of vending machines or, you know, feeding yourself all this protein powder and garbage supplements that don't do anything but overload your liver and load your body up and all 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 in the disguise of health it's 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 really like a, a form of corporate hijacking of the whole concept of what health and fitness is supposed to be about and also a lot of the equipment it's just uh, so you can inflate your ego and trying to feel healthy about looking a certain way pretty much in gyms Definitely a broken system, like many systems in our society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So what are the other things that you think are important? I mean, if we looked at, you know, society at large, what are the things that you guys feel should be happening in gyms or could be happening in gyms or used to be happening in gyms that aren't happening anymore? I mean, obviously you've created a community environment, which is really more like a, you know, what comes to me is more like a spiritual dojo, you know, like a, yes. It's, that's a good that's word for the it. name. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing. That, that's what we've been looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Spirit, yeah. spirit dojo. Yeah. That's the thing. I think this is, this is a concept that's growing all over the place, maybe in smaller scale than we have, but, but I think the big gyms are taking a hit and the smaller spaces are, are growing. Definitely. We can see it in our small city here. We we see a lot of small gyms coming up where, yeah, more predicated on just movement, functionality, community. Um, what we're yeah. really trying to educate here is getting into your body, not yeah. necessarily like getting out of your body, like yeah. a lot of places. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a really good concept too because if I remember right, didn't. Madeline or Ganilla say you guys have a meditation room or something like that? We're in it right now. Yeah, it looks really beautiful. That's whoever put them did the mural. That's a gorgeous mural back there. You probably know who that is. Alex Gray. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> we have his art all over the place. I would love to just turn the camera around <laughs> so you can see the room. Would that is, be nice? Is that um is that plant plant material around the art? Unfortunately, it's plastic plants, but uh, yeah, we try to build a, a feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Oh, there That's you go. The shroom. Nice. Yeah. The That's god. The yeah, there you have Alex Gray as well. There the you shaman. have the shaman. Right on. <laughs> our, our whole place is uh, a little bit meditative, but yeah, we have a. Uh, th this room here is, uh, is made for like, uh, from the beginning, breath works. So we have like, it's uh, isolated uh, in the ceiling, all the roofs. And we also have music, like speakers and basses coming out of the roof. So it really creates like this vibrating feeling in here. Mm -hmm. So you can do like gong sounds and we also have uh, our drums and stuff like that. So we can create a epic space in here. And this is a room where we pretty much start all of yeah. our sessions to yeah. really like land in our body get in touch with our breath so in like a let's say we have a one hour session with a client at least 20 to 30 minutes will be in here before Good. we do anything out there so depending on what we're going to do if we're going to have a hard training session we might breathe in a way to maybe kick up some adrenaline cortisol get focused powerful and of course the other way around as well hi everybody I am so excited to tell you about Wild Pastures' amazing meat delivery service. They have beef, chicken, pork, and wild-caught fish. My family and I have been enjoying their meat for quite some time now, and I just couldn't wait to tell you about it any longer. We had an amazing barbecue this weekend, and I'm still high off the meat. And they use a whole network of regenerative farms, which means that you're getting a different ecosystem from each farm, which means a different nutritional profile, which means nutritional diversity which means health and vitality, which is exactly what we need right now in the world for ourselves and our families so we can all make a difference in the world. 
And Matt Smith's going to tell us more about this amazing company, Wild Pastures, about their offering and how you can get it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much, Paul. And I'm excited to tell your listeners what they can get today and how we can help them out. So, you know, as you know, pastured meats are crazy expensive. And so our goal with Wild Pastures is to tap into this network of regenerative farmers and to finally create the solution of where we can get the highest quality meats delivered straight to your door for the most affordable prices around. And so we're on average seeing that we are 40% cheaper than any other delivery option out there. And that our customers have reportedly saved, on average, $1,000 on their grocery bill from meat alone. And so Wild Pastures is a regenerative meat delivery service that is solving this problem. And you can get 100% grass-fed and finished, as well as pasture-raised pork and poultry and wild-caught seafood from Alaska delivered straight to your door. So it's far more convenient. It's far more environmentally friendly because we're using regenerative farms entirely. We don't use feedlots ever. So the, the nutrition profiles are way better. You can definitely taste the difference. I know we were talking about this on our uh, just before we hopped on, you having a Father's Day barbecue and, and how incredible the pasture-raised chicken and beef short ribs were. And you can really taste the difference, right? I'm and still so, high. <laughs> and so our goal is to remove the roadblock from people's minds that if they want to eat healthy, it's too expensive. And so that's where Wild Pastures comes in is we are delivering with our own fleets of trucks whenever possible. We haven't raised our meat prices in over three years at this point. And we're really just creating convenience for the consumer and kind of being the high tide that rises all ships. If we can opt more people into a system like this, the cost stays down for everybody. And so there is a myriad of benefits that go into that. And so today, if your listeners want to try Wild Pastures and taste the difference and experience what it's like, go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul Check or click the link in the show notes and save 20% off for life, plus get free shipping for life plus get $15 off your first box. That's a mind-blowing deal. I can't even <laughs> imagine. I mean, I've never heard of an offer like that. And, you know, most people will hear an offer like that and think, this can't be that good. But I'm telling you, it's not, it's not only that good, it's really good. Or I would not be sharing this on my podcast. I think everybody needs to get a hold of Wild Pastures for their family, for their vitality, for their longevity, and for the future of this planet. So thank you guys very much. So Matt, Matt, just repeat the website again. Sure. Just go to wildpastures.com forward slash Paul check or visit the link in the show notes and get 20% off for life plus free shipping for life plus $15 off your first box so you can try it. You'll be glad you did. Have you guys ever seen any of Osho's dynamic meditations? No. You know who Osho is, right? Yeah. If you go to Osho International and search dynamic meditations, there's several, you'd have to probably, I don't know if they have them on digital format or not. They probably do by now. But Osho had a lot of great dynamic meditations. And uh, I studied that many, many years ago. And that's when I would teach work in classes where I would be teaching Tai Chi and various work in exercises like you see in my book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. I found that so many people were just too buzzed up to hold still and, and to do a kind of a seated meditation. So what I found is even with things like breathing squats or Tai Chi ruler, I would just tell people do breathing squats at the pace that matches how you feel inside. So some people might be jumping up and down and screaming, you know, <laughs> and, and, and going faster. And then I would say, 
you know, just let yourself outgas and then naturally fall into the pace where your breathing and your movement become time, but it doesn't feel stressful to you. And that's really the beauty of a dynamic meditation is that you can meet a person where they're at. The analogy that I give my students when I'm teaching class, I say, look, if you've got a, if you've got a cylinder head bolt, say you're working on an engine and it's, it's torqued down to 110 foot pounds of torque, how much pressure does it take to unwind it? You know, most people think about it for a minute. A lot of people that aren't mechanics, they don't know, but somebody inevitably will says, well, a little more than 110 pounds. And I say, you're exactly right. If it's torqued to 110, it's going to take at least 111 to start moving that thing in the opposite direction. So the metaphor being, if someone comes in wound up to 110% and you try to hit them with zero pounds of torque, nothing's going to happen except they're going to just sit there and vibrate and, and find it ag agitating because they got to sit inside this mind that's buzzing like an electric fence. So if you meet them right where they're at, then they unwind themselves and then they come can come in and people that often have a very hard time meditating all of a sudden will have very deep meditative experiences right off the bat because they've, you know, depressurized themselves. So Osho's dynamic meditations, he has a whole, I don't know, he must have at least six or eight different, I got them on CD. Oh, I'll yeah. try them. Yeah, definitely. that's what we see when we do like longer breath works. That's just like you, like last week we did it. Yeah. So I, I started off with some zone exercises. I did some breathing uh, before we went into a longer breath, and it's completely right. Some people are just ramped up, yeah. and <laughs> you need to bring them down a bit. Yeah. Now you you guys are in Homestead, which I've been to countless times. And there's only one good espresso shop there when I was there. And it was owned by a guy that was a soccer player. Do you know where I'm talking about? Hmm. It's on one of the little side streets. Penny, do you remember where that espresso shop was? It might be gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it might be. Yeah, probably gone. Like our, our yeah. town, it's uh, it's uh, going to shit. Yeah, the center is dying. Yeah, it's dying. 100%. Oh, that's I mean, too bad. It's still beautiful, yeah. but the city center, like uh, just because of. The oh. rents are too high, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Nobody can grow a business. An economy in Sweden is really getting bad now and insane taxes on that. Yeah, exactly. Well, the reason I was asking is because it's Homestead's not that big of a town. What is it, like 30,000 people? Around 80. Oh, 80. Is that, 80. Okay. It feels smaller than that when you're in the downtown area because I've been in there many times. But the reason I'm asking is because... Um, it's quite interesting because it sounds like your gym's really doing quite well and, and that people are gravitating there and, like you say, hanging out and spending a lot of time there. What do you feel is the reason that you're able to be so successful in such a small town and, and what you're doing seems to be quite advanced for, for Homestead? Yeah, I yeah. would say because we're actually running like a family business and we're really doing this from our hearts. Like it's me, my wife, Daniel, his wife, and my wife's sister. So it's us five who's working here and we're treating everyone with respect who comes in here. And we also... It's been a like, rough road. It's been a rough yeah, road it's economically. Been a and rough uh, road. Yeah, everything that happened since we started, we had the, the, the pandemic and then the energy crisis. We had insane energy bills for, for like six, eight months that we 
definitely definitely couldn't carry. Uh, but we're, we're, I wouldn't say we're economically successful yet. Uh, we're getting there. We're not lucky, but as Victor said, since we're a family, if we would have had employees that would call in sick, that mm, would, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, just lazy, then mm-hmm. this, this would have crashed a long time ago. Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah. it's great that you're doing it. And I think, too, that um, because of the environment you're talking about, that's a great sort of way to use your facility as a place for people to come decompress, share what's scary for them. I mean, sometimes just sitting in a circle like in the room that you're in and, and just giving everybody a chance to say, you know, what's what are they carrying today, you know? And, and, and then going into meditation with each other. And so, okay, you know, let's just go into stillness together and, and open our hearts to each other and carry it. You know, the, the analogy that I often use for this is take a bicycle wheel, right? It's got 32 spokes, one axle and the rim. And when each of the spokes is balanced, then the force is attenuated through the whole wheel. No one spoke takes too much load. So if you think of each person in the circle as a spoke in the wheel and the whole group is the wheel, one of you would be the axle that's organizing it. Then let, let everybody share what's real for them. Let tears flow if they may. But then let's focus on using our hearts and our creative abilities to dream up a new possibility for each other. And then just go into silence, holding the intention to, you know, allow spirit to guide us to our wholeness and turn this challenge into an opportunity. And I think that because we really have to go, you know, my the, my new book series that's I'm working real hard on, I've been at it for three and a half mm. years, is called Welcome to Spirit, Jim, Your Guide to More Love, Life and Freedom. So I think if you take the gym and realize the environment around the world is really very spiritually challenging for people. It's much more mentally, emotionally challenging than it is physically challenging because you're dealing with, you know, demons of the mind and demons of government and demons of (laughs) criminals and crime bosses that we call politicians and all that shit. (laughs) So if, if you, if you sort of, I think if if not only you guys, but if gyms would transcend the physical and include the spiritual and allow it to be a place where we work on, you know, the resistance of free weights is one thing, but the resistance of your fear about, can I pay the energy bills? Can I deal with being forced into this hard choice of vaccination and control? Then you're actually dealing with the real resistance that produces spiritual growth. Cause as you guys know, bodybuilding is a perfect example of what happens when you grow physically, but you don't meet the resistance of your own ego's spiritual development. Mm, definitely. <laughs> mm. So anyhow, just some concepts that come up. I, I, I think what you guys are doing is great. I'm really grateful that Ganilla made you guys put you on my radar because I think this podcast could inspire countless gym owners and a lot of my own students through the Czech Institute own their own gyms all over the world. And a lot of them have moved in this direction as well. Um, 
we feel it here as well. We have we have had people come in here, let's say the last six months maybe, that I'm pretty sure are gonna try to cultivate something close to this or similar to this. Uh, it doesn't have to be us, but we we had, I definitely had a feeling that this needs to be built. Yeah, Somebody well, I needs to do this. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you did. I I really. Me too. Um, Me too. <laughs> maybe you guys can take some video footage that you can really? send to Penny that we can share on our various websites and things and help people know where you're at. And, Love you know, there's probably plenty of people that will be traveling in that area when, at one point or another listening. I mean, the number of people listening to the podcast is certainly enough that you're going to get people dropping in after listening to this podcast. They're welcome. They are very welcome. It'll be the first place I go if I'm in Homestead again. So, <laughs> yeah, you need to come. Yeah, I think yeah. Gunilla needs you as well. Yeah, well, I'd love to see her. You know, I have a long history with the Bloomberg family, and they've been some of my best friends and greatest supporters. And I've taught a lot of courses at their teaching facility and worked out many times in the gym there. And some of my greatest students are from your area there, all around. Some of the best students I've ever worked with are all in that region of Sweden, Denmark, and uh, Norway. I love the people there because their minds are very effect, active and they're, they're not lazy people. They, they actually do the things I teach them to do and do their homework. So I always enjoyed teaching in your region of the world because I felt like I actually had people that were awake enough to pay attention, you know, instead of pretending to get a certification so they look cool by sticking a thing yeah. on the wall, but then going back yeah. to being the village idiot they always were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, interesting. E Eric, the, the um, Gunilla's son, yeah. one, one of her sons. Uh, I know he, Eric. Yeah. He actually just hired us to, to do uh, weekly breath work at Eleiko with the staff. So that's, that, that's fantastic. A, that was a nice step. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Eric's a sharp guy. So he if, is, he, if he's definitely. recruiting you, you, you're in good hands. Yeah. Now, yeah. did, you, did you guys, I can't remember, did I share the lecture I did with the history of gyms in it with you guys, the slideshow? Yeah. Uh, no, but you, you wrote down a bunch of things. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I you shared wrote it. wrote a story. Yeah, I shared it with Ganella. So I, was, I thought it would be fun just to talk about how gyms have changed over the span of your careers. And then, I, and then after that, I can share what I share in my lectures because I've, I've many times, I've got a slideshow that shows how the gym industry has transformed over the past hundred and, you know, since about 1880, I've got pictures going all the way back into the 1880s of gyms and it, yeah. it would blow your mind if you saw those gyms, because it would probably look a lot like your gym. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I saw recently a video on, uh, on Instagram on a, on a, uh, from a really old gym. And it looked way more similar to the gyms <laughs> yeah. we, we, we prefer than, than the ones you find around. Probably, probably the biggest difference we have seen in, let's say, the gym culture since we started training ourselves is probably the addition of CrossFit, maybe. And, uh, and I love the they really did a good work with, with creating the community part, which we like. Maybe not the biggest fan of, of how they structure the practices, but the community building reminded very much of martial arts in my yeah. mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that was beautiful to see. 
The injuries, not so much, maybe. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> which, which is funny because they deny it. You know, I've, there's even been lawsuits over over CrossFit su- suing people that claim that CrossFit was injuring people. I'm like, as a yeah. professional therapist who's had a lot yeah. of people injured in CrossFit come to me. In fact, I've had so many people that even own gyms that have CrossFit saying, you know, is there anything you can do to show us how to properly do this so that people don't get hurt so much? <laughs> so I've, I've done many lectures around the world, you know, yeah, yeah. But, but passion, passion makes you ignore uh, problems. Well, you know, yeah. there's an old saying, it's hard to change a man's belief system when his paycheck depends on it. Mm, definitely. And there you have mm. the disease that has the world right by the balls. Yes. And I hope it's breaking. Yeah, well, I think COVID was a chance to, you know, go into some deep meditation. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a weird thing to witness. You know, how, what have you noticed, for example, in, in the time you guys have been using gyms in what's in gym? I mean, from my point of view, yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty much the exact same thing in the <laughs> Swedish gyms. Is that it's right? just, yeah, one thing that's changed a lot, it's uh, that everyone, every gym, has a kettlebell nowadays, which is actually a good thing. One kettlebell. Yeah, one, one <laughs> yeah. kettlebell. Yeah. And they, they usually have like a rig put up, like, you know, the pull up a, a, a little bit more. They usually have like yeah. one space at least where you can do some uh, functional uh, body work. Yeah, calisthenics and sort of Right. Still, like if, if you go into those gyms, most of the people are still using yeah. the machines yeah. and the isolating uh, things. So um, I don't think it's really catched on. No, not really. And, and a lot of people in Sweden have a problem with sticking out from the masses. Right. So they don't want to look weird, so they, they avoid it instead. Yeah, well, I've always thought weird was wonderful. Yeah, I, I need to tell one yeah. thing. We, we, had a, we had a 16-year-old girl that we did coaching with, uh, with breathing, with training, kettlebells. And she actually went into one of these commercial gyms, just sat down, started doing breathing exercises and doing kettlebell flows. And people were just staring at her. <laughs> but that, that was a powerful thing to see a 16-year-old girl, just no fucks given, just go. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how <laughs> that it should beautiful. be. I mean, yes, of course. The, you know, you realize what you're describing is people that are still stuck in the child archetype that need other people's approval and validation to have a sense of self, which is what got everybody in trouble with COVID because people weren't thinking for themselves. They were looking up to daddy figures to tell them what to do, which in this world is an extremely dangerous way to live. And, you know, you guys are clearly warriors and adults that make decisions for yourself. And, you know, when we, part of the reason people stay in, in, in the herd, so to speak, is that they're always looking to somebody else to tell them what to do and to rescue them. You know, Jesus will save you or uh, Big Daddy in the sky will save you or Donald Trump will save you or whoever the, the savior of the moment is. And look how that's worked out for everybody. You know, yeah, Pfizer is going to save me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like they have in the past. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, this is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with all these evidence coming up, people are fucking they're still stuck They're They're still looking, looking yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. At I least hope, in Sweden. I hope a lot of people woke up and just don't say it, but, uh, it feels not so much. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a real 
crisis, you know, in the story of Jesus going into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to deal with the devil is, is actually psychologically the story of the challenge of separating ourselves from family, mom and dad dominance, teacher dominance, political dominance, and learning to be alone with yourself and deal with what's inside of you and come to face your own fears and your own demons. And so it's, it's, you know, Jung calls this individuation, becoming whole unto yourself as an individual, not relying on other people to make you feel wanted, needed, or valued, right? As long as you need somebody else to validate your sense of self-worth, then you're always dependent upon other people's opinion. And when you get enough people that are stuck in the child archetype, then they just wander around like sheep doing whatever they're told by whoever the shepherd of the day is. And then when they put you in a position where they're threatening your income or your job, then you get to find out who's made it to the warrior stage of, of their development. And to be a warrior, you have to have clear values. You have to have a dream worth living for and worth dying for. And you have to have a clear sense of direction and the ability to stand on your own. And, and, you know, most tribal societies throughout history had initiation rights for men. Women had their initiation right by pregnancy and childbearing. But men had to have the child beaten out of them. And if they couldn't pass their initiation, most tribes would kill them because they couldn't carry children that weren't contributing to the hunting, the gathering, the taking care of animals and doing the work that you had to do. Some tribes would give the young men a second chance, but to kind of punish them psychologically, they'd make them spend a year with the women instead of being with the rest of the warriors. And then they would say, you got one more chance. And so this was, you know... These initiation rites were designed to push people right to the very edge of themselves. So it was very tricky because they had to make them dangerous enough and tough enough to really knock the child out of them and give that young man a chance to prove that he could stand up on his own two feet in the face of adversity and do what it took to be a warrior, which is sacrifice himself for the tribe. But they also had to be careful not to damage the young kids because then you'd have a bunch of broken warriors that couldn't do anything. So it's a very fine art. And and you see you guys being in martial arts have already initiated yourself into the rigors and the discipline of dealing with your fear, relying on yourself. There's nobody in there but you and the opponent. Right? Nobody's going to rescue you. Mommy and daddy can't help you at that point. And there's going to be people shouting obscenities at you from the side of the ring that the other guy's on. And there's going to be people behind you encouraging you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's you against yourself more than it is you against the other guy. Because as you guys both know as fighters, as soon as you defeat yourself, <laughs> even an inferior opponent has already got you, right? If you lose the battle in your own mind, you're already in big trouble. So part of learning to stand up for ourselves is learning to deal with the devil and deal with the scared child and deal with the wounded parts of ourselves and rise up and say, look, I can, I can still move on. And I'm, you know, the, the, the point being is if you don't have a dream bigger than yourself, then you've got nothing to give you a sense of levity to overcome the gravity of social programming and being like everybody else. 
And that's one of the real risks of starting a gym that, that is as unique as what you guys have. Because a lot of people walk into a gym like that and they go, well, where's the leg press? Where's the Smith machine? You know, where's the hamstring? Curl? What am I going to do in here? Because they're so used to being babysat by machines where you don't have to think, you don't have to be involved, you don't even have to balance yourself. So there's no core recruitment, there's no anything. And it, it just, it's just kind of like the illusion of a workout, but really it's not functional at all. So it's almost like an extension of the child mind to be guided in everything you do and not have to be involved in your own body, right? So you, you can, you can sit on, you watch people going in to standard gyms and they got headphones on, they're listening to shitty music. They're not even present in themselves and with themselves. It's almost like they're taking a pill because everybody else takes the pill and it's better than being fat kind of thing, but it's not really bringing you into a more intimate relationship with yourself. Because for example, like if you want to do a maximum deadlift, you've got to be 100% in yourself. You have to be balanced. You have to be coordinated. You have to set yourself up properly. You have to overcome the resistance of that load. You got to deal with your own psychological resistance to the story in your head saying that's too heavy for me. I might hurt myself, etc. So when you have a facility where a person has to stand on their own two feet, manage their body, manage their balance, manage the load, and manage their mind then you're actually teaching people skills in a gym that have direct transfer to their psychological development. But if you babysit people with fixed access machines, the problem is they look good in the mirror and they think they're tough, but they go out and try to play soccer or play hockey or whatever, and they're not any better off. In fact, they're worse off because you're training the muscles to work in isolation and there's nothing you can do. You can't even pick your nose with muscles in isolation. You know, there's... No. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's such a, it's really such a, you know, uh, for lack of a better words, it's a really fucked up concept. Hi everyone. I hope you're enjoying the show. You know, the holiday season can be stressful for many people and a time when your normal sleep patterns are often disrupted. That's why a warm mug of Organifi's chocolate gold in the evening is a favorite routine for my family. It's perfect for winding down, relaxing, and setting yourself up for a great night's sleep. And with chocolate gold, it tastes like comforting hot cocoa without all the sugary buzz of regular hot chocolate. I was blown away when I realized Organifi had found a way to give us a chocolate evening drink that wouldn't buzz you up, but instead open the door to a lovely restful sleep. Nighttime is for full body recovery. This is when the body really goes to work repairing, detoxifying, and rebuilding cells that were damaged during the day. Each evening is the perfect time to relax, unwind, and enjoy adaptogens that support a healthy response to stress. Ease your body into a calm, relaxed state with nine soothing superfoods in chocolate gold. Chocolate gold contains reishi, known as the grounding mushroom, and lemon balm extract, also known as the calming herb, to help promote relaxation and restful sleep. What it doesn't contain is any sugar, so you can skip away knowing that you are drinking nutrition to support your body and not just a bunch of empty calories. Go to Organifi.com forward slash C-H-E-K-20. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash lowercase C-H-E-K 20 and use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K 20 to get your 20% discount 
on Organifi Chocolate Gold. That's Organifi.com forward slash check 20 and use the code all caps check 20 to get your 20% discount for Living 4D listeners. I promise you this stuff tastes amazingly good and really is quite a trick because who would have thought you could use chocolate right before bed and actually relax? Only Organifi can figure out how to do that. And boy, my kids love it. And everybody else I know loves it too. Enjoy it. Have fun. In my research to develop my neurodevelopmental approach to conditioning, where I showed the history of how the human nervous system evolved and why we have to move in the seven primal patterns that I developed that I'm sure you guys are aware of, I went back and looked through the history of gyms. And I, for many years, subscribed to various training magazines, bodybuilding magazines. And I had a collection that went all the way back to 1840 and and studied Eugene Sandow's books and many strongmen's books and histories. And, you know, I used to do a lot of that type of lifting myself. So I was very into it uh, at every level of my being. And what you find is when you go back to, to the gyms of the mid 1800s to the early 1900s, that almost all there was in there is what we now know of as club bells, weighted clubs. Some of them had kettlebells in them, and they had a lot of old style cable machines where they used ropes. And you'd see like what looked like a yoga studio with cable columns all the way along the wall. And there might be eight or 10 of these things in a gymnasium, and the other wall would be nothing but these weighted club bells, and there'd be a bunch of medicine balls sitting in the corner, ranging in weight. So it was really like, very much like what they would use to train soldiers in the past. Very much the same as how they would train soldiers. In fact, right over here behind me, I have a hand-carved dumbbell made out of stone from the Chinese military in 1490. (laughs) (laughs) And it's literally, they not only train with these stone kettlebells, they carve them by hand out of stone. And uh, my my, my buddy, Jason Picard, who you might have heard on my podcast before, bought that as a gift to me many, many years ago. Kind of a funny story. He walked into an antiques, high-end antiques shop with exotic things, and he saw this stone kettlebell there. And he wanted to buy it. And he said to the lady, where's the other one? I'd like to buy the set. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. Kevin Costner just bought it. (laughs) 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 So that was cool. But so anyhow, in the early 1800s, you had this functional training equipment. Now, then what happened is polio came. So the polio epidemic hit, and you know, polio is a a, a neurodegenerative disease, so it'll attack the motor neurons. And so what happened is so many people started getting polio. And then at that time, there was no such thing as physical therapists or what you guys call physiotherapists. They didn't even exist. They were nurses. But what what happened was because so many of these people's uh, muscles were degenerating, The nurses had to start, for example, if your C5 or C6 nerve roots were degenerating in the spinal cord due to the polio disease, they would have to take people and do manual resistance. So the nurses actually became the sources of resistance like we would use cables or a gym to do. 
And so they would do all this isolation exercise to try to stimulate the muscles to grow, to counterbalance the neurodegenerative changes. And that's how these people became, went from nurses to being physical therapists. Okay. So that's how physiotherapy began was with the polio era. So now while polio was going on, bodybuilding, which started in 1900 with Eugene Sandow, he ran the first bodybuilding contest in the world in London, England in the year 1900. And the Mr. Olympia trophy is actually Eugene Sandow's body to this very day. And so what happened was, is that the, the bodybuilders had started getting influenced by all this polio conception of isolating muscles to make the muscle grow. But the bodybuilders at the time of 1900 were all Olympic weightlifters. Almost all of them were competitive Olympic weightlifters. And in many of my magazines, it would show, you know, Joe Smith won the Olympic weightlifting competition on Saturday and he won the bodybuilding competition on Sunday. And the bodybuilders were also kind of like hippies. They were all about eating really good. So you'd see these old bodybuilding magazines would have all sorts of recipes for salads and different ways to cook chicken and turkey and beef. And it was kind of like a very, very holistic community of guys that were actually weightlifters that just had developed their bodies so well that when bodybuilding started, they would just go from a weightlifting competition to a bodybuilding competition, pose and win. Now, the paradox is, is that as the polio epidemic took off and people started realizing that I, you could isolate muscles to make them grow, the mindset started to switch toward, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing these combination lifts or these compound lifts. Maybe we should be isolating muscles. Well, in around the year I was born, 1961, Time Magazine released a feature of Vic Tanny. Vic Tanny was called the, uh, what was it called? The, the America's Greatest Trainer or America's Number One Trainer. I still have it in my library. It's Life Magazine, which is very, very popular magazine for a long, long time. And he began the first gym chains. And that's when you guys might remember the old universal equipment. They have it in a lot mm. of schools. It's almost like a, it's a machine-based collection with a leg press, a oh, lap pull-down, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. you know, a, a bench That's press. Like everyone has one of those at home. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like a, like a home gym. And then it had one cable column with just one high and one low pulley. You could sit on the floor and do a low row. So it was like, almost like you walked around the thing in a circle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when Vic Tanny became the, the famous guy who opened probably the first real successful gym chain in the United States, then they were all littered with all these universal machines because that was about the only system there was for group exercise other than using dumbbells and kettlebells. The problem was to run a gym chain, you couldn't afford to hire enough skilled trainers to work with that many people and do complex lifts without people getting hurt or without going through a lot of core basic training. So to make it an industry, they had to use these sort of um, circuit style um, fixed access machinery. And as that became popular, then you started seeing a lot more people getting indoctrinated into using this 
fixed axis type machinery. And so what you started seeing is as, as the physiotherapists were doing isolation training, the weightlifting community and bodybuilding community was doing Olympic lifting and functional lifting. For example, if you look at back at the original early pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Franco Colombo, Frank Zane, uh, Lou Ferrigno, you, you rarely ever found pictures of those guys using machines. They were always doing deadlifts, bench presses, military presses, standard weightlifting techniques. And they put on massive amounts of muscle. Of course, they were supplementing with uh, some high-performance uh, Cheerios. <laughs> but they, they, you rarely ever saw them doing that stuff. My point is, while the polio era was focusing on isolation, and we were having physical therapists be born into people that exercised muscles in isolation, the best bodybuilders and athletes in the world were doing what we would call functional weightlifting. As the polio era became more and more of an issue and Vic Tanny started this universal gym chain with all these isolation machines so you could get a lot of people in and rush them out the door, it became an industry and the industry to be successful financially could not have a lot of high paid strength coaches and trainers. So you had to use machines that any idiot could do, right? And so that's how the gym industry really got started. Then along comes a man named, the guy that started Nautilus, I'll, his name will come to me. But anyhow, so he started the Nautilus equipment, which what was the same thing as the universal system, but on much prettier machines with heavier weights, more of them, more body parts. And so Arthur Jones started paying large sums of money to people like Arnold Schwarzenegger would pay him like $5,000 to show up and do a workout at a Nautilus gym. And this is in the seventies now. So all of a sudden you had all these elite bodybuilders that never used isolation training, always did it with free weights. If they did isolating on preacher curls and stuff, it was still with dumbbells. And so everybody got the idea in their head that, oh, if you want to get big, you got to use Nautilus equipment. You got to do, you, you got to go do this. Then you got to take piles of vitamins, which the Weeder brothers were the ones that brought in. The Weeder brothers were also very responsible for a huge surge of the steroid use in bodybuilding. And so now check this out. While, while the isolation machines are coming on strong in the gym community, the physical therapists are coming to the realization through their own testing that no matter how well you isolate muscles, when you test people with functional lifts like a box lift, they're not any stronger. So you can, you can increase your strength 300%, for example, on a back extension machine, but you still cannot deadlift anymore. So they were, the, the science was shifting to say, wait a minute, all this isolation training makes you stronger when you're doing exactly that machine. But when you go to push a wheelbarrow around or load packages into the back of your truck, you're actually no stronger. And so you saw all these people with going to the, the gym that were, you know, maybe dealing with back pain or doing bodybuilding training. But when they go to functional training and go to see sports coaches like co coaches doing speed agility and quick uh, and speed agility and quickness tests or, um, functional lift tests like a lot of uh, athletes would have to do a, a bench press test a deadlift test they still do that today in a lot of sports teams 
these guys would be have huge muscles, but they couldn't run faster and they got slower. Their coordination got worse. Their motor skill development got worse. So paradoxically, the physical therapists and the scientists were finding that isolation training was not integrating people's bodies and that they were getting the illusion of strength, but it wasn't actually helping them heal. It wasn't helping return them back to work or sports effectively. So we saw this whole thing continue to grow. And then you had MedEx, which is Arthur Jones's medical grade, which did the same damn thing, produced a bunch of illusions of strength, but people weren't functionally any better. And I did a lot of testing in those years because I've been doing this for 40 years. So I've watched a lot of shit come and go. And so then, then I came along and in 1988, I started traveling around the world lecturing on functional movement and proper rehabilitation and the science of human movement. And people thought I was absolutely fucking crazy because I was showing them that all these gym shit was doing, making people worse and I would prove it to them. And so you guys may not know this, but I invented the idea of the adjustable cable collar. You know how you now can take a cable and adjust it in notches. That was my idea. I good idea. Good I idea. put. I'm the first one. That, <laughs> I'm the first one to to put two cable columns side by side so you could do functional pushing and pulling, and then three and four cable columns so you could do cross pattern training. I also was the first one to put chin up bars on on cable systems with multiple size handles so you could work your grip harder. I introduced Swiss balls to the gym industry in 1988 so people could get functionally integrated training because I saw all these people ruining themselves on fixed access machinery and thought, well, you need Swiss balls to integrate all that strength because the brain has to learn to how to get all the muscle groups to talk to each other because in any functional exercise that you do, getting, getting, even getting on and off a toilet, even getting on and off a toilet through what's called the gamma nervous system, which is sensing the movement of the muscles, such as the spindle cell activation and the proprioceptors and the receptors around your, your joints, such as Golgi tendon apparatus, type 1, type 2 mechanoreceptors, all that's running through what's called the gamma nervous system. And research shows that if you're getting on the toilet, the muscle, your obicularis oculi muscle, which controls your eye, knows exactly what the abductor digiti quinti in your little toe is doing. They're all talking to each other through the nervous system and coordinating a pattern of movement. So the brain does not know anything about muscles. It only knows about movements. So when you start isolating people on machines, the brain only learns that movement, but it does not learn, for example, how do I coordinate my hamstrings with my abdominal wall with my throwing muscles if I'm going to throw a javelin or a ball? And the more time you spend training people in isolation, the more it actually trains the brain to think that's what it's supposed to be doing. So, and, and the higher the load and the greater the intensity, the faster the nervous system learns. So the problem is, is within a, you know, a few months in a gym, you can actually get enough training and enough intensity to start wiping out your general motor skills. So you get people that look better and better in the mirror but they perform worse and worse that are more susceptible to back injuries, to neck injuries, to shoulder injuries, to knee injuries. And so these guys would go in the gym and train like bodybuilders, but go out on the sports field or the ice rink or the tennis court and their bodies would start falling apart. 
And so you started seeing golfers getting afraid of weightlifting because it made them slower and they couldn't hit the ball as far. When, when I was the trainer of the Army boxing team, one of the first things they said is, we need you to develop knockout power. We've got a lot of fighters that can fight hard for three rounds, but they can't knock anybody out. And I had knockout power. I mean, I, I can knock people out. <laughs> and so they said, you know, whatever it is, because you train a lot different than we do. And I used weight training as well as plyometrics and medicine balls and, and rope skipping and all that and good nutrition. So I actually had to take these guys and put them into functional weightlifting and develop their motor skills. But the key point was when I implemented this weightlifting program for the boxing team, the coaches and the boxers were scared to death because they had all learned over the years that every time a boxer started getting into gym training, they got slower and they're, they might be able to punch hard, but they were too slow. So they couldn't hit anybody. So I had to go through the whole science of what I was doing and explain to them how you can use weights scientifically to increase the rate at which motor units contract, to increase the force at which they contract. And by coupling skilled weightlifting with calisthenics, medicine ball training, and related technologies, you could actually make boxers fitter, faster, and hit a lot harder. And I proved it to them. So I had to shatter their paradigm. So the point I'm driving at here is a lot of athletes in sports like golf and boxing and martial arts where you have to have highly integrated body systems that work well together found the more time you spent in the gym, the worse you got in the ring or on the golf course. So I was traveling around the world starting in 88, showing the science behind all this. And people thought I was absolutely fucking nutty. I mean, they, they're like, oh, how could you say that? You know, because they couldn't realize, they couldn't come to grips with the fact that gyms were full of useless equipment. The problem is the gym industry is a, you know, probably a billion or multi-billion dollar industry. And so while this was all going on, we also saw this booming addiction to cardiovascular equipment, which is another multi-billion dollar industry. And then you had all these people like the Heart Association saying, oh, if you don't do at least 30 minutes of cardio a day, then you could get a heart attack, right? Well, yeah. that's bullshit because the first heart attacks didn't show up until we started hydrogenating fats and breaking down fat molecules and clogging our arteries up with shit that was pawned off as health food. And so- For some treadmills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's <Right>. go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you walk into gyms all over the world, you can't find free weights, hardly find Swiss balls, and so you see a bunch of fixed access machines and about a half a million dollars worth of cardio equipment. But the question I would ask all these people is, okay, so you're saying if you don't use a treadmill or a stepper or, or a cardio equipment for at least half an hour to an hour a day, you're going to get a heart attack. And people would say, yes, that's correct. I say, okay, how did we evolve for two fucking million <laughs> years in the wild? And nobody did. I said, if you go running through the forest trying to hunt a deer, you're going to be the hungriest son of a bitch in town because they'll hear you coming for a fucking mile. Yeah. <laughs> you will right? never see it. You will never see it. I said, yeah, hunting. so far away from logic. <laughs> right. Hunting, hunting's totally aerobic while you're walking, but low aerobic, but anaerobic when you're throwing a spear or, or doing the work of, uh, you know, capturing, killing the animal or, you know, a lot of people used to hunt with knives. I got a buddy in Homestead, Sweden, who hunts pigs with a knife. That's totally who's, like. Who's this guy? You, uh, <laughs> uh, Joachim Detner. 
That's <laughs> we need way. to talk to this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah track, track him down. Yeah, I've been out hunting with him. This guy goes hunting for wild boars with nothing but a knife. <laughs> what? Okay, so, <laughs> and he lives right near town, or at least he used to, but uh, um, he might live in another town. Ask Ganella. She knows yeah. where he's at. Yeah. But, okay, so what happens then is you now have the world full of fixed access machines. I start lecturing in 1988. I'm encouraging functional exercise. I've produced tons of videos, as you know. I'm telling people, look, you can't do that. I introduced a seven primal pattern movement system, which says you have to squat, lunge, bend, push, pull, and twist while standing on your own two feet because those are the exact seven patterns that you have to do to survive in nature. That's why they're called primal patterns. Just ask yourself this question. If you had to go out and feed yourself in nature and survive in nature, but you couldn't lunge, would you survive? Probably not. If you couldn't squat, would you survive? Mm -mm. No. Try having a shit standing. See what happens. <laughs> True. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If you couldn't bend, you couldn't survive. If you couldn't push, you couldn't survive. You couldn't build things and you couldn't defend yourself. If you couldn't pull, you couldn't survive. You couldn't build things and couldn't defend yourself. If you couldn't walk, jog, and sprint, you couldn't survive. Everything would eat you, right? You, if you couldn't run and climb, you'd be dead. Well, lo and behold, I went and studied in the Czech Republic with the greatest minds in rehabilitation, and one of which was Dr. Vojta, who did infant development and child development research for 50 years. And something quite profound, I figured the primal pattern system out in 1988 by just asking the question, what, would we ha what movements would we have to do to survive in the wild? And I, long story made short, I narrowed it down to these seven patterns, squat, lunge, bend, push, pull, twist. So here I am studying che in the Czech Republic in the year 2000 in a very, very advanced week-long training at the Charles Hospital. I'm studying infant development. It's mind-boggling what I'm seeing. I go home. I buy like 40 books on infant development from all over the world. I study them to put my own system of infant development for Czech Institute students. And what did I learn? The exact patterns that an infant has to do. Twisting begins in the womb because the twist pattern is the most complicated pattern for the spine to do due to the mechanics of how the spine works. So the child has to learn to twist before it has to deal with gravity because the cartilage hasn't matured yet, the bones haven't fully shaped yet. So the child's in there in a swimming pool in mother's womb, turning its body all around to work hard in the ligaments and the connective tissues to prepare them to deal with gravity. Then the first thing the child does is push to pick its head up so it can see around, which begins turning the spine from a neutral spine into having three curves. So the first thing you, the child does is push, lifts its head up, that trains the neck extensors to be able to handle oxidative metabolism, which produces what's called a tonic muscle group, which means it's a postural muscle. Then the child goes onto its hands and knees and starts rocking, which develops its thoracic curvature. Then it tries to stand up, which requires the use of a lumbar curvature and the development of a lumbar curvature. So what you see is children twist in the womb, then they're rolling around on the bed all the time, which is the twist pattern. Then they're pushing, then they're rocking back and forth, which is pushing and pulling. 
then they grab onto something which called a brachiation movement and they pull themselves up into a standing position. They lose their balance and they fall into a squat and they try to come back up. And they also go into a lunge position to pull themselves up. And then they finally learn to walk in about 10 to 12 months. So lo and behold, what I found out through studying infant development is exactly the same pattern, squat, lunge, bend, push, pull, and twist that you had to have in nature is how an infant grows and develops to integrate its body, its brain, its organs, and its glands through movement. So then you come full circle. Here I am on the road lecturing all over the world for 25 years, getting kicked out of conferences because every time I lecture, nobody will buy the equipment. And the conferences are sponsored by fixed <laughs> access equipment manufacturers. So I got kicked out of the National Strength and Conditioning Association because they were threatened that if Paul checks Beaks, we're not going to sponsor the conference. I got kicked out in Filex in Australia for unveiling the truth about all the shit in the gyms. And so they got rid of me there. Eventually, I was invited back. But by then, I said, look, if you guys want to play that stupid game, I'm not going to participate. I'm here to educate, not sell garbage to people. And so my point is now we're slowly coming back into this realization of functional exercise. And finally, you had CrossFit and other programs like that. But strangely enough, I stopped traveling on the road lecturing maybe 10 years ago now. And everywhere I would go, there would be, you know, some kind of functional exercise equipment, adjustable cable columns, Swiss balls, kettlebells, and trainers that knew something about how to do it because, you know, I triggered off this whole education concept in the industry. But now you go to gyms, you see Swiss balls sitting there. Nobody knows what to do with them. You see free weights. Nobody's touching them. And everybody's right back on the freaking fixed access machines again, just like you guys just said. Yeah. Easy work. So isn't that just the most amazing history to show you that we went from functional exercise to dysfunctional exercise based on diseased people? All because of polio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back, back to functional exercise because of my influence and others like me, a few of them, not many. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm excited to offer you a free lecture I created that can really help anyone achieve healthy balance with issues of exercise in their lives. This free lecture is titled Red, Yellow, Green Days to Work Out or not to work out. When you get to the gym and you're already feeling tired because you're low on sleep, have been working out a lot, or have just finished a taxing day at work, should you work out? Some people will re-energize from a hard bout of exercise, but others will not. But how can you tell before you start? In this free presentation, you'll learn why it is critical to evaluate your readiness for exercise, as well as simple techniques for evaluating the type of workout your body will respond best to. In this presentation, I will explore the effects of stress and exercise on the autonomic nervous system and how crossing our stress threshold or having high levels of stress or autonomic stress affects different people in different ways. You will find out how to manipulate your existing programs to create energy uplifts rather than energy drains, as well as how to select exercise methods that will balance your autonomic nervous system and help you make exercise work for you and contribute to your well-being. 
If you want to be healthy, vital, and fit for the long run, this information is not only essential, but it is critical information seldom offered by health and exercise professionals. Those without this kind of wisdom often resort to biohacking to compensate for chronic stress, pain, illness, and injuries, which is never a good substitute for bioharmonizing. I'm excited to be able to share some of the wisdom I've developed helping thousands of people heal over my long career. To get access to my free audio lecture titled Red, Yellow, Green Days to Work Out or Not Work Out, go to chek.group forward slash work in. That's chek.group forward slash work in. All together, work in. And enjoy this free audio lecture. I think you'll find it highly informative and highly practical. It shares many of the methods I've used to help the greatest athletes in the world, weekend warriors, and just everyday people look and feel a lot better for the long run. Enjoy. As I studied the gym industry, and I actually got a hold of manuals and uh, meeting notes from major gym chains, and one of the things that pops up over and over again is that the gyms are designed so people do not want to stay there. So they set the equipment up so it creates traffic jams and it frustrates people. And they design the system so that during holidays like New Year's, they get everybody to make New Year's resolutions. Then they lock them into a, a year-long contract that they cannot get out of. But then they set the gyms up so nobody wants to be there so that the equipment doesn't get worn out and it costs their overhead, causes their overhead to stay low. And so the actual the large gym chains are really not designed to make people comfortable like you guys and want to be there. It's made to, to get them out of there to use the gym as little as possible to get as much money out of them as you can and lock them into a legally binding contract for a year. That's why people call us bad businessmen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's, we can have about fifty members. Then it's then it's then we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, is, uh, for now, for yeah, now. For but now. the reality of it is, is that you know, if you got fifty members, and you can see that you need more space, then what happens is when you get everybody in that circle to meditate, you say, it's time for me to connect to my soul and great spirit and say, how do I um, bring this offering to more people and have it not only be fair for them, but fair for us so that we get fair return on our investment. And the reality of it is I tell check professionals, he who is the best or she who is the best can do the most with the least. All I need is a Swiss ball and a stick and I can train the best athletes in the world and, and work them hard, right? So the, the secret is not who has the most toys that are useless. It's who has the most functional tools and knows how to use them, which goes right back to education. Because if you don't know what you're doing, then you need a bunch of equipment to, to babysit people on, count to 10 and get paid for being a rent-a-friend instead of a skilled coach or therapist. So it really boils down to for you guys to really be the gyms of the future and, 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 and set that in motion. Can you see now it goes back to you have to have a skilled instructor that knows how to breathe. You have to have a skilled instructor that knows the importance of the inner arts and meditation and how to take people from being anxious and wound up to calm and centered. You have to have someone that knows how to assess human movement 
where which primal patterns can you do or not do and how do we break those patterns down so we can build you back up so that you can go back to work as a, a park ranger or a policeman or a nurse and not get hurt and actually feel better in your body because you're more capable so you see the point is is that to own a gym like you guys do requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of skill and a lot of willingness to engage people and do the work of education because you see, to really do what you guys do well, isn't it a good day for you when you teach people things and then they don't need you anymore and you walk in the gym and you see that they're lifting weights properly, that they're meditating properly, they're breathing properly? I mean, isn't that really the ultimate reward? I was going to say, we, I, I think we work with a different currency. Instead, instead of uh, paper money, we work with energy. Energy from people is our currency. And that is powerful beyond Definitely. And that's the future because look, yeah, it has where, to be. It has where's to be. our money going? You know, it's, 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 it's what going is in. It? What is it? <laughs> yeah. It's going into thin air. So, you know, pretty soon it's really going to be, what can I offer you? Look, I got some butter and some beef. What do you got? Well, I can teach you how to meditate and I can teach you how to breathe and I can show you how to get over that back problem that you have without it being a medical expense or a, a big deal. And I can show you how to not have to have it again. And now what you have is value for value. But what we've got right now is we've got this imaginary piece of paper that doesn't really hold the value of its capacity to extract from nature. So if you take $1,000 and buy $1,000 worth of stuff, be it a desk or a computer or whatever, the problem is, is that probably took $10,000 worth of resources out of nature. For example, it takes three times as much water as a plastic bottle holds to manufacture the bottle. Okay. Now let's think about that. Water's now as expensive as gasoline. It's, 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 it's a, a commodity that's, it's, it's in short supply and it's very valuable. Okay. So you've got, you can buy an empty plastic bottle for about two cents. Okay. So you've got a bottle that you bought for two cents, but you had to use a gallon of water to make it and a factory full of equipment that all had to be extracted out of the earth. So what you see is we've created a monetary system where the, the perceived value of our money is not a reflection of what it takes from nature to give you that purchasing power. But if you come to me and say, Paul, my back hurts and I can give you some butter or i can give you some beef or i can give you a bag of coffee beans or i can give you um a night with my sister i mean just kidding but um <laughs> but you see you have something tangible that i have to trade you something tangible for you follow that and and that's something we've all got to start thinking about and that's yeah. why true economy yeah true economy and that's why one of the most important things for young people to understand is part of becoming an adult is doing the work to develop mastery. Because if you don't have mastery, you're still a child. You cannot support yourself. You cannot add something of value to somebody else's life, right? So we need community, we need mastery, and we need sovereignty. We've got to take responsibility for ourselves and stand up for our own freedom. We've got to have community to inspire us and to work together 
because we all have different skills and different things to offer each other. But we have mastery because without mastery, we've had a community of lost children that are sucking on the hind tit and nobody's getting anything done except falling victim to the warlords that uh, tell you if you don't get vaccinated or do what I tell you to do, that you're going to lose your house and we're going to triple the power of your energy and we're going to get rid of your cows. And you got Bill Gates cutting forests down, uh, saying that they're consuming, uh, you know, th that they're causing too much carbon and the most ridiculous horse shit you've ever heard in your whole life. I mean, if you have two brain cells holding hands, you realize how criminal all this shit is. How did it become so dark? What happened? Well, his father was the head of the United States eugenics program. So really? Dealing, oh. oh, yeah. His, oh. That, his father's died in the wool eugenicists and worked with Rockefeller and all the criminals at the very top from the very beginning. So, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as the old saying goes. So, you know, you're when you're looking at Bill Gates, you're just looking at the reincarnation of his father's ideas, which are extremely dangerous. And, you know, emperors and kings, I don't Did you guys ever see my video that I did? Why kings kill your children? No. Oh, go to my YouTube channel and watch yeah. Why Kings Kill Your Children. Definitely. Yeah, that is also a loss of humanity, I think, right now that we are. Graham Hancock said it perfect with uh, we're a species with amnesia. We just forget our history. And I I've spent a lot of time the last couple of years studying history deeply. And um, you see human action very clearly and what we always do. But if we don't, if we don't know that, it's very easy to fall into the to the trap. Yes, I spent years studying the philosophical and mechanical foundation of Tai Chi, and I found a book by one of the early masters of Tai Chi who actually broke Tai Chi down. And strangely enough, Tai Chi actually one of the roots of its evolution was from the human gait movement, the walking pattern. So I thought, oh, that's very interesting because we all have our nervous system. You know, you have the reptilian brain. The, the reptilian brain is your brain stem, which carries your key survival reflexes. First reflex is, am I safe? Is, is my hunting territory safe? Am I safe? Two, what can I find to eat and kill, you know, kill and eat? If I'm safe and I've got food in my stomach, it's time for procreation. So at the very core of our nervous system is the three questions. Am I safe? What can I eat? And then it's time to procreate. And paradoxically, if we break that rule of first establishing safety, second, having food, and then procreating, we create a lot of problems. Because if you procreate when you're not safe, your chances of survival go down. If you procreate when there's no food, your chances of survival go down. So whenever we're in an environment where we don't feel safe, we have a neurological reaction that makes us hypervigilant, which is what pushes people's cortisol levels up and burns their adrenal glands out. If we're not eating real food, then our body's starving. And so we have a survival reflex that says, you're not eating, you're not eating, right? No matter how many bags of chips you eat or how much white bread you eat or packaged food you eat. At the core level, you're not getting nutrition that stabilizes your body and nourishes it and makes it feel safe. So you're, you're getting a fear response. And then if you're procreating when you're not feeding yourself well and you're not safe, then your body says, red alert, don't do that. And unfortunately, our 
neocortex, our thinking mind overrides our protective reflexes, which is, you know, the first question someone should have asked when they saw a vaccine with no ingredients listed and no science behind it is, am I safe? And the answer should have been no, right? So you see, when people are not using the embodied wisdom that we have, they make very, very bad decisions and they're very easy to control, okay? Then you have the limbic system, which is all about relationships. The mammalian creatures are much more social and depend upon each other. A herd of cattle, a herd of sheep, a bunch of deer, a pack of wolves, they all integrate to each other and they function together, right? So you go from this reptilian consciousness, which is then imprinted into the mammalian creatures. They're still concerned, am I safe? They're concerned about what they can eat and they're still concerned about procreating but they do it together where the reptilian are more uh, more isolated. Uh, For example, a female crocodile, if she gets hungry enough, will eat her own children, but a mammal will not do that. Then when you get up to the chimpanzees, you see the development of the limbic system getting so evolved that the mother chimpanzee will starve herself to death and give all of the food she can to her child to increase its chances of survival, even if it kills her. So you see there that we also have this desire to sacrifice however we have to, to survive, to get our children to survive. So the point that I'm bringing you to is what I found is that at the base of Tai Chi was the gate pattern. And when you think about how long we would have had to walk to find food and on hunts and how long we would have had to go without food at time from time to time becoming very efficient in the way we not only walked as an individual, but walked together was very, very important. Like it's easier to walk a long way with someone than it is alone. Have you ever experienced that? Mm, Very true. Okay. So here's my tip for you. I thought about this very deeply and I said, okay, I'm going to try an experiment. So I started when I would run my courses at the Institute, especially holistic lifestyle coaching. I did this myself for quite a while to test it, but what I would do, I'll do it on the video for you, is I would walk and I would stand kind of like I was more of a primal man, not so upright, but a little bit more like this. And as I would walk, I would just let my arms swing like they were pendulums, like so they would carry you, right? Just really relaxed. And so you time your moving and your steps together And I'd get a bunch of people in a circle like we were out hunting together and we would just time our breathing and our steps together. So we were all in the same cadence like soldiers marching and it would take you into a deep meditative state real fast. Mm. But do do you actually like walk or is it like a sand swing? Okay. Yeah, no, you do. You you just walk in a big circle and you have enough space so that when you're swinging arms, you're not banging each other, but you go into the mindset of being a tribe like in Mm. primal times and you just relax your mind and you just walk together and you get to where you're relaxed and you're in rhythm. And so you're all inhaling and exhaling. So you might have three arm swings or three steps per inhale, one step for a pause, three steps for an exhale. So you get everybody so that the rhythm's not so fast that some people are out of breath and some people are not getting enough. You have to find that balance which usually only takes about two to four minutes of walking together. And you just relax. You do that for 15 minutes with a group of people and watch what Mm. happens to them. You can take them into a very deep dynamic meditation 
and they That's can start awesome. having all sorts of insights, dreaming, intuitive insights. It's it's simple and powerful, but but ultimately that's where Tai Chi came from. Was that uh, movement pattern? It gets me thinking of when Daniel went outside walking bare feet out there, and thirty minutes later the police came. <laughs> they actually right. not, yeah. they came into the gym and like we need to talk to this guy to yeah. see that he's Something's okay. Right. I, I was walking like a eight eight uh, in in the snow in the woods barefoot and somebody called the cops but you can actually the, the walk you're talking about paul can you make that like indoors just in a circle absolutely that's gonna be the group training tomorrow yeah, yeah we see but the reason that you made me think of that is the hoo, hoo, hoo. that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's a primal sound for us that's deep yeah. in our nervous system that is how we used to welcome everybody to the gym before when we <laughs> It <laughs> always worked. Yeah, it yeah, always yeah. worked. Everybody was monkey motivated. stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do in here. We encourage people to really bring out the animal. Yeah. So you can even do that while you're walking and talk to each other and make it almost musical, right? That's also something we incorporate yeah. a lot, like yeah. just making noise, yeah. like get your noise out. One one of the most powerful exercises I do with uh, I do a lot of ball slams with my clients. Just to, just to get power out. And we're in a group of eight, when we do that for like three, four, five minutes, yeah. and you, you feel the synchronicity in the breath, everything is... And you can almost see people enter some kind of flow state and just losing time, losing space. Yeah. It's super powerful. And you get the aggressions out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, th this is just such a simple... This is an example of what I say, you know, you don't need a lot of equipment. If you do what I did and spend years, I mean, I did 18 years of daily Tai Chi often twice a day and using different forms. And, and that's how I developed all the work ins. I worked with Master Fong Ha for about three years just to, to really ground myself in the concepts of Tai Chi and Qigong. And, and practice and have a master to, to be responsible to. So I stuck to it thoroughly. I never missed a single day, which I did for 18 years. And so when you spend enough time doing your own inner research, you start to develop a library of exercises, how they affect you. And then you say, okay, this guy right here, he needs this ape walk. This one over here, they need breathing squats. That one over there, they need to slam a ball for about five minutes and do this. And, and that's been, for me, I took that as my responsibility as an educator to master many different techniques, whether it be seating, whether it be active imagination, whether it be breathing, so that I could work with people and, and prescribe things that were right for them so that they're more likely to participate and get the shift on the inside that they need to come back into themselves and start developing a, a wholesome relationship with themselves. Mm. Because if we don't have a healthy relationship with ourselves, we can't give anyone else more love and support than we can give ourselves. That's why I teach I, we all. First, you take care of yourself so you have something to give to another. And once you're good at giving to another, you're, then you know what works for your children and for the world. But if we don't take responsibility for that, then we're always waiting for someone else to tell us what to do when that's right back to the disease that has humanity right now is being stuck in the position of being a child. The point I'm really driving at is the gyms of the future are going to require people that have evolved themselves through honest work 
experimentation and research to have an inner experience of the truth and how to apply these tools. Like, like I said, I'm very masterful with a Swiss ball. I spent many, many years studying it and using it in every kind of situation from working with Cirque de Soleil athletes and gymnasts all the way to the most fucked up, damaged people from car accidents, plane accidents, people with, I had one guy with 101 broken bones. I had to rehab, <laughs> took me a year to rehab. Yeah. He's, went out on vacation to his, he had a, a cabin in the mountains. Him and his wife flew out of Seattle and a flash storm came. They were in a little float plane and the pilot couldn't see and they flew right into the side of a mountain, killed his wife, killed the pilot. He had to crawl three miles through four feet of snow with 101 broken bones to get to see where a rescue plane could see him. And I, I spent one year rehabilitating this guy. I got this guy back to pretty much full function. But the point is I had to use all my skills and the Swiss ball was one of the most important tools in that process. So I spent years and years working not only with the best athletes, but with the most fucked up people you can ever have. I had a, a highway patrolman crash his car doing 120 miles, miles an hour in a high speed car chase, flew off the road and hit a boulder that was about 50 feet big, 50 feet across, yeah. broke 55 bones. You know, I've worked with the best athletes in the world of pretty much every sport you can think of. And so I've worked with all these approaches. But you see, what I'm trying to really say here is that the gyms of the future cannot be like the gyms of today, where you can hire cheap personal trainers that get a certification out of a bubblegum machine and think they know what they're doing. We've really got to master the inner world. We've got to master diet. We've got to master lifestyle. We've got to master stress management. We have to master working in. We've got to look at breathing. We've got to look at stress management. We've got to look at posture. We've got to look at flexibility. We've got to look at how do we create stability in a body physically, emotionally, and mentally, and spiritually. We've got to look at what strength is and why strength's important and how strength can't really be developed until you have flexibility and stability or you'll just magnify your imbalances and your postural dysfunctions and your joint disorders and you'll be in pain all the time. And what do you see? You go to most gyms and guys walk in with a, a, a gym bag full of wraps, props, creams, and potions, <laughs> right? It takes them a half an hour to, to cream and wrap oh. themselves up so they can go lift weights for another half an hour. I was this guy. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people were. I had all the belts, the buckles, and everything. <laughs> but that's, that's how you figure it out, like uh, being it and going through it, becoming something else. And finding mentors is a big part in my mind. That's the thing with Search the internet nowadays, can... right? Yeah. Like, That's the beauty of the internet. Even yeah. though I've never met you, you've been my mentor for the last seven years. Well, I'm glad I could help. And that's what the Czech Institute was designed to be. It's, it, you know, I didn't come here to train the masses. I came here to create masters that could then train the masses. Boom. And, Boom. you know... Uh, <laughs> It takes Mike most Bob. people five years to graduate from the Czech Academy. And by the time they do, they've got more skill than osteopaths, chiropractors, physical therapists, strength coaches, and personal trainers. And they're the only ones that are cross-trained to understand how to work with the entire medical community and each other. And it's a, it's, a, it's a real commitment to one's own personal development. Because if you can't master the stuff that I teach on yourself, I won't let you go forward. There's just no way. You either, you either eat, sleep, breathe, and shit what you're teaching other people. Or you get the fuck out of the kitchen and go be a rent-a-friend. And that, that's, you know, that's the only way we can do this thing. Um, that's the proper way. Yeah.
Hi, everybody. I'm sure you've heard me bragging about Paleo Valley over the years of listening to my podcast, and there's a very good reason for that. Not only do I love the genius of Autumn Smith, a holistic nutritionist, but her products are phenomenally good. My kids love them. I love them, and we all use them every day. My students love them. My clients love them, and they are absolutely top notch. One of my kids' favorite snacks is Paleo Valley's Bone Broth in chocolate. They love to make their hot chocolate drink themselves simply by whisking up collagen-rich protein powder in a mug of hot water. And I'm happy to let them indulge as I know it is packed full of great nutrition for them in the disguise of a sweet treat. Even us big kids love our sweet treats. And isn't it great when we can enjoy something that not only tastes great, but is truly great for us? Paleo Valley's 100% Grass-fed bone broth protein is the only of its kind made from truly grass-fed cows raised on pesticide-free grass pastures. It's made from bones, not hides, slowly simmered to extract the proteins and nutrients. Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and dairy-free, the chocolate mix includes organic coconut milk powder, organic cacao bean, organic monk fruit that makes a sweet, creamy, delicious drink that my kids, family, and friends just can't get enough of. You can also add to smoothies, use it in baking, or mix it with your coffee for a healthy mocha treat. Paleo Valley's bone broth protein is also available in vanilla and unflavored. To try Paleo Valley's excellent bone broth protein and save 15% on your purchase, go to paleovalley.com forward slash lowercase c-h-e-k 15. No promo is required. That's P-A-L-E-O. V-A-L-L-E-Y dot com forward slash C-H-E-K 15 to get your 15% discount as a Living 4D listener. No promo code is required. And I promise you, not only will you love this stuff, your kids will love it. You can giggle and laugh because they think they're getting a sweet dessert right before bed, but they will love it and sleep great. And boy, do we parents love it when our kids sleep great. Enjoy Paleo Valley's amazing products. Which, which brings me up to another point. What is your guys' feeling regarding the standards of education in the strength coaching and personal training worlds today? I mean, uh, I think it's pretty rigid. It's pretty square. Like, uh, it's just like all other, pretty much all other educational systems. You learn one thing and that's what you learn and that's what you do. So our education system that, that we are following is we're sponges looking for mentors. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but pretty much. And, and, and even like trying ever, try, trying it out, try see everything. if it works. Like the thing you said before, like uh, you want to be able to look at a person and see what does he need because you, you once tried it. And, and, and our specialty yeah. is making training fun again. Like yeah. uh, a lot of people yeah. coming to us, they maybe have never trained or tried training. They tried the machines, the polio machines. Yeah. And uh, really never got into it. But we're making training fun again. And even though we're not as specialized as all the, like, the Czech practitioners, we have a lot of knowledge just by opening up our ears, our hearts, and trying shit out. And our expertise is really making it fun, like making people love to go into their body again to just to go back to the educational system i I see a lot of flaws because they they, like you teach the work in and the workout principles uh 
most people are just too damaged to work out because they haven't really worked in and they just stuffed their body with shit. So like if a broken person goes into a regular trainer and like do half ass deadlifts and doing the cable machine and all that, it's, it's yeah. not going to serve them well. It's not going to no. serve anyone. And, and I have a, a quote that's stuck in my mind from, from Joe Rogan that I always says, and that is don't be married to your ideas. No, always I be always, willing to change. Yeah. I always say any philosophy worth living is worth challenging. Yes. Mm. Yes. You yeah. know, the problem with the belief system is all belief systems are closed. Okay. So for example, how much Buddhism, Taoism, and Shinto can you put in Christianity before you don't know what it is anymore? So all belief systems are closed because they're belief systems that are developed by somebody else to get you to do what they want you to do. Okay. The problem is as soon as you think you know something, you stop asking questions. That's what a belief is, right? You, do you walk around asking yourself, for a new way to tie your shoe or do you believe you can just tie your shoe so once you believe something it goes into your unconscious and it runs automatically like a, a, a repeating program so as soon as you start believing anything as though it's done then you stop keeping your eyes open and paying attention like if you believe you're safe in the woods by yourself then you're about to get yourself killed yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell all my students regularly, do not believe a word I say. Test everything I teach you. If it doesn't work, come back and see me. And if you're doing it correctly and it's not working, it's up to me as your teacher to figure out why it's not working. So far, nobody's been able to come back and say that what I was doing wasn't working, that wasn't doing it wrong. And as soon as they did it right, it worked. Why? Because I test this stuff over and over and over again before I ever expose anybody to it. That's my responsibility as an educator. That's your responsibility as gym owners and educators and mentors to other people. And, you know, you, you brought up a really important point. Most people going to the gym today are, are just absolute walking booby traps for most strength coaches and personal trainers. Research I saw several years ago, they took a large study group of people that had never had back pain in their life. They then had an MRI done on their lumbar spine. They then took those MRIs to a panel of surgeons. 76% of them had disc bulges that they didn't even know about. 50% of these people, the surgeon said, needed to be operated on immediately. And these are the people walking into the gym. So about 76% of people on the street have a spinal pathology of significance, 50% of which surgeons would operate on immediately. And they're going to personal trainers with guts that are inflamed, full of toxicity, tired, poor coordination, faulty motor skills development, faulty infant development, back pain, tight muscles, postural syndromes. And what do you do? You throw that person in CrossFit and you just buy a new pair, <laughs> new Porsche for an orthopedic surgeon and you don't get to choose the color. We should call them a wallet instead of a client. <laughs> well, yeah. In that case. Yeah. It, it's sad, really. It's yeah, it very, is. very it sad. Is. It is. Now, I'm going to throw you guys another technique I developed, which is very helpful, and it fits perfectly into the model you're using there. If you get yourself a nice, big, rolling pen board or blackboard or put big pen boards or blackboards up on your wall, 
what I have athletes do quite often is on their rest periods, I will start a line of poetry. Let the sun be your guide. And then they have to add a line. And then I add a line and we keep doing that. When it's time to go back to work, we go work. Or I start a piece of art. I'll say, I'll draw a flower. And then I say, it's your turn. And they might draw a bee. And then we go work. Then we come back. And they might draw a bird, and I might draw a mountain in the background. And so what happens is you keep activating the right brain on the rest period because the stress of pushing yourself sympathetic pushes your left brain, which blocks your ability to learn and to stay open. So as soon as you start doing art or poetry, it triggers your right brain to come on, and it keeps you in an open state, and it helps bring your parasympathetic tone up, which helps you recover faster. So. Lots of my clients, a lot of them, you can always tell how left brain trapped they are because as soon as you say, let's write some poetry, they get all freaked out and nervous or let's draw a picture. They don't want to do it. So the more resistance you get, the more they need it is the rule. And so there's having fun. Who cares what it looks like? Draw a, a big pile of shit on the ground and then, and then we'll make something out of it. So one of the yeah. techniques I use is called turning shit into flowers. So you Take the pain that you're in. So say somebody's going through a divorce right now and they're really angry. I'll say, shit, draw your anger. Just go crazy. Here's the colors. Take any color you want. Give me some anger. And we'll go through that. And then after a while, I'll say, okay, now let's turn the shit into flowers. Let's make something beautiful out of it. So you take that ugly mess that they drew and you find ways to make it beautiful. You be creative. And so it teaches a person how they can take their challenge, their pain, their sadness, their grief, their anger, their emotion, and then recognize it, get it out of the body, move it out of the body, which helps decrease the pressure inside, also makes you conscious of it because now you're bringing it out of the unconscious into the conscious. And so you actually see a physical representation of it. And you can say, ah, I've vomited that out of myself. I know it's out now. And now I can learn to work with it. So now I'm going to say, how can I make something beautiful out of it? Well, that might be a compost pile, right? You can turn that into a compost pile. And then you can say, look, then we're going to draw a garden next to it. So all this pain and all this sadness composts itself to become nutrients for the growth of new life. And that is how you can be the gym of the future and keep people in their right brain, keep them open to new ideas and teach them how to take dark, painful stuff and learn that they have the power to convert it into something beautiful. And that's exactly what you've had to do through this whole pandemic, is take something dark and ugly and convert it into something beautiful. So those are some of the techniques that I, I'm glad I can share with you guys. I'd love to see some pictures or videos of you guys trying them out. They're coming. I'm going to film the walk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's going to be a good one. <laughs> An another thing you can do, which and I have one right out here, you know those um you know what a like a bird bath looks like like you can get them at, at garden centers where it's like a pillar with a a bath made out of stone and then you need to put water and the birds will come bath in it get one of those in your gym you need to get a good heavy one though so no one knocks it over put sand in it and then get a bunch of rocks of different sizes from like the size of a american baseball or about the size of an orange down to colorful petals and pebbles and gemstones and then on the rest period, people can go over there and do little rock stacks or make little patterns in the, on the, oh. on the sand 
or they can you can put a stick in there and they can draw pictures in the sand. And so that's called sand play in Jungian psychology. And what that does is it takes people that are too trapped in their left brain and the stress of having to make a living and carry so much responsibility and activates the child and the playfulness and the spontaneity in them. So if they don't feel like drawing or doing poetry, you say, well, let's go make a little rock stack or let's draw something in the sand or, you know, make a little army out of uh, stick figures. So you take them into their creative expression of the child so they don't lose their childlike spontaneity and creativity. And that's another thing I've had Czech professionals put up in gyms and people absolutely love it. Beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah, nice because yeah. we really wanted to introduce <laughs> some kind of uh, rock piling of some kind yeah. into the gym. We yeah. had it in our first gym. Yeah, I actually brought like you turned me into piling rocks. Good, and I actually brought the big rocks. Yeah, I think we had the heaviest gym. one was like seventy kilos. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> it turned out to be like a me- meditation stool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was became a well, meditation rock. What you can do, by the way, is you can go to Eric Bloomberg at Aleco or any of them over there. And you know their new Olympic platform that's silent? Yeah. Okay. So get them to give you a bunch of those mats, put them together, or even see if they can make you a big one. I don't know who does their manufacturing. But then you could put the rocks on top of that, and it would be soft enough that if the rocks fell down, it won't damage the floor. Yeah, yeah, and it would yeah, be more would be like nice. being on yeah. soft it's ground. Just, uh, it's just so tight in here now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's getting tight. <laughs> well, yeah, I understand that. But so there's where your your bird bath concept and keeping it small because it's really about the effect on the psyche more than anything else. Do you guys have any space outside? Not really here, but the next phase of this company, which has always been the idea, is to build this in nature. So we're looking for land to build our homes and also build a community base for people to visit. And all these things are, is going to be incorporated, definitely. Well, there's there's a buddy of mine, Jeff Bryan, I got to connect you with because he that's what he does. He builds outdoor playgrounds and people come see him and, you know, they do kind of like a military obstacle course with climbing and hopping and swinging a mix of like basic parkour rock lifting, wood lifting, flipping, flipping um, chunks of trees and rolling logs. And so he's that's got some great, that's my mission. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's what my I mission as well. Yeah, yeah. I just want to get out to nature. Yeah, exactly. And so that was one of my questions. I mean, don't you guys feel that a lot of people that are going to gyms really need to be outside in breathing that's fresh air? We, and that's why we made this place look a bit like nature, yeah. but uh, but but still, like uh, you can't take away nature. No, that's, we take uh, our cli- clients outside. We I usually take like a, force them to pick up maybe two sixteen kilos of kettlebells, and we farm a walk out into the woods, and then we do the practice out there. Perfect. But one of my most powerful experiences in my life has been. I had five years almost where I walked completely barefoot in all seasons. I was out hunting. I was doing everything. And it was, it created a calmness in my body and my mind that's indescribable. Yeah, I'm totally hip with you. I do barefoot walking meditations quite often on our property. We have 14 acres. So now I, when I come to see you guys, I'll know how to, if I forget your names, I'll know Victor is the bald guy. 
I'm almost bald as well. It's not. <laughs> You'll be the guy with three toes missing on each foot. <laughs> Five years without a scratch almost. We actually, it's actually make weird. Fun, fun of his yeah. uh, feet. We call them hooves. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, yeah, he's yes. fucked. Yes. <laughs> but it feels good. It feels good. It feels like you can run through fucking rocks. But the most interesting thing was the 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 generation of heat when you walk barefoot, especially uh, of course in the winter. I could almost time it at 7-8 minutes from being cold to actually generating heat through my entire body from the feet. And that is uh, such a powerful feeling. As long as you don't stand still forever. <laughs> that, that is fine. Yeah. But nature is definitely one pillar of health. We, yeah. we really want to, yeah, that we Both of us have spent, spent a, lot, a lot of time hunting as well to understand the circle of life, which was very important to know how, how does animal die, what do you do when an animal dies, and, uh, and the, the feeling of eating. What, what you kill yourself is also something completely different. I tell people all the time, if you want to really become conscious of not overeating animals and fish, go to a slaughter. Stand there, watch the animal die, watch it get gutted, watch it be butchered. And when you see the process of life leaving that animal and then seeing its body there with its soul gone, and realizing that it's a, it's a legitimate sacrifice every time we eat, then then you come back into harmony with the cycle of life and realize that we are abusing the planet. We're abusing in these factory farms and all this bullshit, which is completely unnecessary. A lot of people think that we can't feed the food without fact feed the world without factory farms. It's absolute horseshit. There's a phenomenal book if you guys can find it. I think it's been reprinted. It's called Farmers of Forty Centuries. Farmers of 40 right. Centuries right at that. <laughs> by yeah. F.H. King, who was the head of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And this book was published in 1910, but the United States government was very curious as to how the Chinese could feed people on such a small amount of land because only 14% of China's land is arable or farmable land. And they had the same issue in Japan and Korea. So they sent F.H. King on an expedition to evaluate how these farmers could do this. And he showed that they were farming completely organically. And in there, he shows that the average Chinese farmer could produce far more food on one and two thirds of an acre than the average American farming family could produce on 40 acres. Hmm. And he showed that we, we, and other estimates show that we probably have a carrying capacity farming organically of 14 to 16 billion people. But here we are now facing food shortages. The global elite have now destroyed 120 food factories. They're trying to push us into total control. You yeah. guys saw what happened in your back of the woods there. Um, so the reality of it is during the Second World War, 50% of all the food eaten was grown in people's backyards and the rates of disease fell through the floor. The doctors had nothing to do. As soon as the war sense. was over and they started the food factories up, people got fat and sick again, and the medical system boomed again. And the addition of all this monocropping agriculture just kills the earth. Kills Drains the whole planet. The, yeah, yeah, fucks it up. Poison the, it, poisons the water supply, poisons the skies, poisons the animals. 
it's a disaster. And, and so we're we're talking about things that really relate to my next question is what is your concept of a holistic gym and what have you guys created regarding what you feel should be the gyms of the future? So we've talked about a lot, but when we use the word holistic, what does that really mean to you guys? Like how would, if you walked into someone's gym that they said it was holistic, but something was missing, what are the things that would have to be in a holistic gym for it to be holistic in your way of re relating to that word? Yeah, that's a tough question. <laughs> no, it's not, but it it depends. Like it, for for me, it um, communication is going to be the basis of it in my mind. If you can't talk to each other for real, you don't come anywhere. So so so, so the basis for communication <sighs> to have fun, you have to be able to have fun. I want everybody to be able to make noise. Scream if you want, cry if you want, so come open arms, come as you are. I want to see equipment like a sauna or something like this where we can fight together in a different perspective than just handling weights. I think the most, the most powerful training the community gets in here is actually in the sauna, probably, to, to fight together in the sauna, to, to endure the cold together not maybe not together but it feels like we do it together even though one person is in the cold plunge but in the end challenge yourself together because we are tri we are tribal we need a tribe otherwise we we can do everything right and i think we'll we'll wither away and die anyways that that's probably the, the thing to take out of the blue zone studies that community is key and and maybe yeah movement working what work is for you i don't uh, work is supposed to be something you enjoy yes yes that that is probably the the most important thing to to you must find in the gym in my mind well if you i'll call help it you the gym yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll add a little something for you go because as victor said well it's a hard one but it's not and it isn't four doctors Chief doctor, doctor happiness. If your time in the gym is not happy making, then you probably have a mental emotional problem that's stopping you from being healthy to begin with. Doctor movement. It's got to be functional and it's got to be appropriate for the person at their level. Doctor diet. You should have access to real food and learn how to listen to your body, not read diet books and do what other people are doing, pay attention to what your own body needs and get guided by people that have mastered that like you guys obviously have. Doctor quiet, rest and working in, introspection, self-reflection. So there has to be a place for quiet and going within. And there's your four doctors. Without those, you can't have, think of that as a wheel. There's no such thing as a healthy three doctor person. If you take a four-spoke wheel and knock a spoke out of it, it gets a flat spot in it. And the amount of energy it takes to make that wheel roll will kill you. You knock two spokes out, and you're not going anywhere. So to, for, a, for a, a gym to be truly holistic, it has to be happy-making. You have to have movement skill, movement science, movement intelligence. You have to have real food and real water. And you got to have an, a knowledge of how to use rest introspection and self-exploration and when you put those four together you create whole people 
And those are the people that'll be changing the world. And they'll be the ones that are left to clean up the mess when all the uh, vaccines finish doing their work. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. All those things you say there, I, I feel that's what's going on in here. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Happy holidays. You know, the holidays are typically a time when we overeat or eat foods that we don't normally indulge in. And this can cause digestive upsets, bloating, skin eruptions, bags under your eyes, congestion, immune stress, brain fog, joints, aches and pains, and overall stress on our digestive system. It's all about having a good time, but I also like to enjoy holidays without having to endure the collateral damage we so often experience. Bioptimizer's masszymes are not only very powerful digestive aids made with the most advanced enzyme technology in the world today, they can effectively break down and aid metabolism of foods that our mind loves, but our body may not love so much. Support your digestion this holiday with Bioptimizer's masszymes and support your wallet with a special discount for Living 4D listeners. Go to masszymes. Dot com that's m a s s z y m e s dot com forward slash paul ten lowercase paul ten and use the promo code lowercase paul ten to save ten percent on a bottle of masszymes purchase more than one bottle or subscribe to monthly auto ship and save even more once again to get your masszymes go to masszymes.com forward slash paul ten with the code Paul 10. With Masszymes, you can have fun on your holidays and beyond and know that you're supporting your body too. Enjoy. Now, a lot of gyms are sales centers for all sorts of so-called supplements, nutritional and diet programs. What are your thoughts regarding the quality of what you see in most gyms and how is what you guys are doing different? That's probably one of the darkest industries we have with contamination and bullshit in them. We, tr we, since we have a restaurant here and we cook all our food from the base, we have all the animals. We know where they come from. They're in within a, let's say a two mile radius from our center. You can Great. find all the animals we use. I've gone or we've gone the way of, we supplement a lot with organs is probably focus number one, liver, heart, Kidney. otherwise yeah, kidney. Absolutely, we have testicles. We have every 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 every, every organ so. you can find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, one of the and salt. Salt is probably yeah. one of the most powerful ones that that we notice truly when we do the water fasts. Without salt, something weird happens. You lose all energy, and just some grains of salt can kick you up to yeah beast mode. <laughs> That's why it's called an electrolyte. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so not much more than that we, we, we sell here. Then we That's create great. products with food. So food is, food is medicine. The other shit, I don't know. Just delete it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. I mean, you know, th this is the difference between profiteering and selling a legitimate service that enhances people's lives and, and gives them autonomy, freedom and a deeper sense of connection to life and to nature and to each other. You know, when we're, when we're eating an animal in a tribal environment, if we hunted together, we would be eating the animal together. We would be celebrating the, we would be grateful to mother nature. We would be grateful for each other because it would take us all to support each other. We'd be grateful for the nourishment. And so you maintain your connection to the cycle of life. And I think that's desperately missing 
and to have a gym environment where you, you can be reminded of that. Uh, you know, in my gym, I have a mural painted on the wall that shows all seven primal patterns being done in a native setting so that when people come into the gym, they can look and see what a lunge was for, what a squat was for, what a bend was for, uh, someone pushing a canoe up onto the shore so they can see why the push pattern was important. Warriors running off to go to battle so you can see why we had to run. And so uh, one of my in, uh, students years and years ago, he was in the, my first batch of, of, of the most advanced students to graduate. He did his whole gym up by having, I think he had sculptures and everything of all the primal patterns. And it was like mm. rocks coming out of the wall and people lifting. It was a beautiful, very artistic environment where people came into this very primal, almost cave-like experience. And it, and it really affected people a lot. It was, it was really beautiful to see his creativity that way. So I think there's a lot of things we can do in gyms to, because you can have everything you guys just mentioned, but if you're in a box gym with white walls and, and it kind of kills the connection, I think, I think creating an environment outside of us that stimulates the right way of relating, feeling, and thinking inside of us is also important. I was curious, what, what are you guys' thoughts and concerns regarding children and the use or lack of use of gyms today? Yeah, we just spoke about that before. One sad thing is, even in our lifetime, we have seen a radical change of people being outside. I remember we were playing street hockey. It was uh, cars honking the horn, move the stuff, move the stuff. We don't see that nothing anymore. It's completely gone. It's all video games. Yeah, it scares yeah. me a lot. It scares me a lot. But we, we do I have a, invite I have a, yeah. like people to bring their kids yeah. to the gym here. They, ha they have like them here the, a lot. That's a nice part of the experience, like uh, people bringing their kids. Yeah. Your kid is I have here a five-year-old daughter that's... I try to pick her up as soon as possible every day so she can hang around here. And same thing here. I don't think it's very natural for kids to only be with kids. <laughs> that's a... That's a weird education system for a child to be brought up in they need adults they need masters as you said mastery to watch so so yeah and we have we are one of the only countries in the world where we have uh, school duty we have to be in school it's illegal to take your child out of school i think we and a couple of more countries are the only ones and that that is has put my mind almost the way to to I need to leave this country almost. Right. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really our, bad. Our kids go to uh, Steiner's Waldorf schools and they're just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We have a few of those, but they're just too far, too far between. Uh, and I don't think, and, and what I've heard about them, it's um, people that has experienced the Steiner schools abroad compared to here say it's a, a little bit different. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, they're very, every school is different because they're, they're, they're not run by a governing body. So each one of them, basically they get the curriculum from the Steiner education system, but you can have a Steiner school that's full of like fanatical vegetarians. And then exactly. right down the street, you have people or, and, and masking and vaccinating. And then right down the street, like our kids, no masks, no one, no vaccination pressures, uh, the California state law said that if you aren't going to wear masks, you have to be outside. So they moved the entire school outside, rain or shine. They put up tents. The kids were outside and the kids loved it. They came 
bundled for wind, rain, whatever, playing in the mud. And they, and I was really impressed that, you know, otherwise I would have pulled my kids out immediately. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what, how did your thoughts go to, to just leave the state during the pandemic since California was maybe the most yeah, radical? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I did. And, and I was willing to sell our home and, and try to find a place in the world. But my soul said, stay right where you're at. There's a reason you're here. And, you know, we're we're on top of a mountain about 2000 feet above sea level. And we're we're about an hour and 10 minutes drive from San Diego. And it's pretty isolated out here. It's really like just if you wouldn't even have known the pandemic was on if you didn't turn on a phone or a TV or something like that. I mean, and then the locals around here were all way too hip for the silliness. They were like, oh, screw this social distancing nice. crap. Nice. Come over anytime you want. You know, it was more, you know, when you get out into the country, people are more grounded. They're not so lost in all the silliness. So um, it was great for the kids. Um, we, 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 I think the kids only only time they had to wear masks if the kid, girls were out shopping and and it was the only way they could you know buy food or whatever because you know every, too many people got caught in it but so you kind of just do what you got to do to get by but our kids weren't wearing masks at school their their intelligence didn't drop their communication skills are as good as ever so yeah it, it's it's important to get kids back into gyms and using body weight exercises and playing with medicine balls and you know, breathing and, and singing and dancing and playing and painting and playing with rocks. And, 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 you know, same thing, like you said, with the adults, getting them right in there, because in tribal societies, the kids were always with the adults. And, and so there wasn't any isolating the kids into this sort of uh, situation that you're talking about today. And I think, you know, I think most of us that are awake enough to realize that the system that we've been indoctrinated into is killing us all and brainwashing everybody. And that's the other thing, all these education systems, they don't teach people how to think, they teach them what to think. And that's, that's, the, that's the beginning of the end right there. And removing physical exercise. I think when we went to school, it was at least two hours a week. Mm -hmm. now, don't, now it's tops once, one hour a week, maybe. When I was in school, it was an hour a day, so it was it was pretty yeah, good. That's you the know? way way we should go. That would be way better. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Ship need needs to collapse and rebuild, day. and I think I think we're closing in on it. I have I have a gut feeling something's oh, yeah. about to break. Yeah, it is, and the thing is, people with our mindset, we understand that you've got to remove the old to make room for the new. So for people for for people that aren't ready to improvise and adapt, it's going to be a, a, a scary time for them. But for people that realize, hey, you better learn to hunt, you better know where your water is, you better know where your food is, and you better have some skills and things to barter, or it's going to be, you know, devastating, then it's kind of like we have to let the old diseased ideas die. We got to watch the, the system crumble, but be ready to work together and network together and support each other. And I think it's actually going to bring a lot of love back. It's going to bring our minds oh, yeah. back online. It's going to bring friendships back. It's going to bring respect for life and nature back. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's like a shamanic journey. You know, you, you take the medicine and there's no way you can control it. You got to go for the ride. And the only way through it is to learn how to breathe and how to manage your mind and your emotions. And, 
you know, as when I was a paratrooper, they taught us never lose your military bearing. If the guy standing beside you gets his head blown off, don't start crying and freak out or you're next. Stay focused on the objective. And we got to see ourselves on the other side of it. You know, we got to think, plan, be ready for anything, but not get so scared that you can't live anymore. I mean, the last three and a half years have been some of the most intense years in the world, but they've also been three and a half of the best years of my life because it's put me out on the land a lot more. It's made me uh, realize how beautiful the practices that I have are and teach and how important they are for a lot of people to engage. It's been great for my kids because they've had plenty of outdoor time. You know, there's always, there's always information in chaos, right? The whole universe. If you look at all the creation myths, they all talk about the chaos before the beginning. So, so if you look at chaos like disorder, then you forget that there's always order hiding in the chaos. Something's being born out of it. So if we look at the chaos in the world right now as the transition from a system that's not working into the birth of something new, and we just have to say, okay, we're going through these birthing pains together. And I think your concept of the gym of the future gives people the, the, the embodiment, the confidence in themselves and the left-right brain management skills to use the best of what we know instinctually, but also be creative and learn how to solve problems and think outside of the box or, or it's going to be a tougher time. Yeah. Beautifully said. What are some tips you guys can offer for people that want to choose a gym or using a gym effectively for the average person that's not going to get access to a gym like yours? If you just said, here's some tips for choosing a gym and using a gym, what would you offer? I would say you have to fill in on the energy because yeah. like you said before, it needs so little equipment to make good training. You really just need a Swiss ball. You need your body. Uh, what I always look for, like before we made our dream here, uh, was um, one thing that was close to my heart was a sauna. So I, <laughs> yeah, I found a sauna. I found yeah. a place with a sauna. Uh, I just checked in is it good energy here is it bad energy do i want to be here for a couple of hours but uh, like when it comes to equipment it's so simple and you're gonna find so much things online that you can do so choose nature first if yeah. you can work out outside all the time go that way one thing that's good here in sweden is like we have so much outdoors gyms everywhere yeah. it's great it's really a trend now but you never see anybody there. <laughs> <laughs> you see some yeah some, some people some people. yeah my favorite thing was to to walk with my dog to an outside gym didn't have to be much exercise maybe 10 minutes and walk, walk an hour with the dog that that was one of my best times in my life one thing uh, that i was thinking about now it's uh Choosing a gym where it's okay to be bare feet, but that's fucking hard to find. Yeah, it is. We we allow no shoes in here. No shoes are allowed in here. So that, that's, that's great. the op opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have like medical papers to use uh, shoe wears in here. <laughs> and also, j just having one good friend that you really love, you can go anywhere. Just work out together. You can go to. Doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I'm lucky then because my best friend is the guy I see in the mirror every morning. 
Nah, <laughs> we don't have any mirrors in here. <laughs> well, that's fine too, as long as you can give good enough guidance. Mirrors can be very yeah. helpful for, for yeah. technique. Yeah, we're I, thinking about putting in one. <laughs> one I'll tell you what you can do is you can go to most physical therapy supply companies have beautiful full standing rolling mirrors because they roll them around in the clinics. I have one here in my gym. It's like a full size mirror, really nice wooden, solid wooden frame, like a piece of furniture. I think it cost me like $350, but I've That's had it for like 20 years. And that way, you know, you don't have to be over mirror dominant, but if you need a mirror to teach technique, you can roll it over there. You can roll two so you can see double angles. Very simple, very easy, but very, very useful to do. Just go back to the question, like now when I've been thinking for a couple of seconds, like I was thinking from my perspective, if I'm looking for a gym, but if someone's like, don't know shit about training, maybe the first thing you want to find is like, not dogmatic people who can actually help you to understand your body. Right. That would be... It's almost always a search for, for people. Find the right people. Yeah, and what I what I what I tell people all over the world, and I tell my students, if you can't teach exercise naked, you shouldn't be teaching exercise yet. In other words, if, <laughs> if, if yeah. you if you if, if you can't show the results of your own living philosophy and your own training philosophy, then one you you shouldn't be teaching uh, people that. And my point is, if you're going into a gym and the people that are greeting you are overweight, out of shape, and unhealthy. You're probably in the wrong space for your own evolution. Yeah, yeah. Probably same in a doctor's office. <laughs> exactly to the to yes. the T. Yes, I tell Czech professionals, you you better be ready to go to work naked because if you can't, then you're not you're really not practicing what you're supposed to be teaching. Unless, of course, you used to weigh three hundred pounds and now you're down, you know, to two fifty and you're on the way then you can work with the people that were somewhere between 300 and 250 because you got something to teach them. So there's, there's a, we're always we're always a teacher to somebody, but if you own a gym and you don't live the philosophy and you're not a good example for other people, then you should, you know, sell typewriters or something. <laughs> something that doesn't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> 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 one of my other one of my other tips for choosing a gym is if you walk in there and there's a bunch of heavy metal head banging shit music where it's shit piss fuck kill probably not the right environment to integrate your brain and your nervous system and and calm your breathing and center yourself because you're you're you know that's the music for people that need to go to psychologists not to the gym Words of David Goggins, I got music in my head, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunately music to prisoners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just to close out, you guys, fantastic exploration, conversation, and, and you know, an honest look at, at reality. Um, what services do you guys offer that anybody can use? Do you have any online services and where can people find you guys? We really yeah. do like, uh, yeah, you, you can find us on primalhealth.se. It's in Swedish though. So on inst Instagram, yeah. On Instagram, you find us on same primalhealth.se. Uh, when it comes to like online business, we haven't really, um, we don't really have anything to offer right now, 
but we're gonna have pretty soon but still go into our website our uh, instagram and click follow and uh, see, see what we are doing i'm gonna give you guys a suggestion this is gonna seem counterintuitive <laughs> it won't cost very much just put cameras up around your gym so that you can see what's going on in the gym and then invite people to have a low cost membership so that when people are doing, you know, the ape walk exercise or breathing or whatever, they, they can just join in by just watching the camera and feeling like they're part of the community because ultimately That's a good idea. what's more you important. You should have one in the sauna. <laughs> yeah. What, whatever. What's, what's more important than, than the space you're in is to expand the sense of connection and to allow people to feel like, oh, I can go breathe with Victor and Daniel right now. Or I, oh, look at these guys. They're, they're smashing balls. Let me go smash something like punch my pillow for a while. Or because so many people are disconnected from these principles and concepts and people love to see how this does. And by, by seeing how you guys do it, it helps inspire people to start doing these things on their own because from what I can see from talking to you guys, a person doesn't need too much equipment to do almost everything you guys are doing there. And I think even if you only charge $10 a month for full access while the gym's open, you can watch and hear this class or this weightlifting session or whatever. I think it would be a, a simple way to really spread the love out there, support you guys making some money, expand your clientele worldwide, give you more financial stability. I mean, look, people, <laughs> you, you guys probably know this, but I was shocked one day. Somebody told me about this girl and her husband who had ran out of money and got the idea that they're just going to put cameras up all around their house and sell a membership and even their bedroom. So when they're having sex and whatever, their first year out, they made a million dollars. And all they did was give you access to just look inside their house while they're picking their nose, wiping their ass, raising their kids and shagging each other. And they made a million dollars their first year. Jesus. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, no, but that's even, actually a good idea from yeah. you, Paul. Like yeah. I have uh, never thought about it. No, me like neither. me neither. We we're really looking uh, in different ways to incorporate people to the community without having to be here. Yeah, and uh, we've just been too swamped in other things. But yeah, that's a fucking good idea. I like. I like. Well, not that. only that, you can you can sell your foods that you make. So if there's things that you know that someone's maybe is. 20 miles away or whatever, and they find out about, you know, your, your donuts or your cookies or the things you make out of healthy food, sell them to them, you know, like Paleo Valley makes amazing electrolytes. So you, you could sell your, make your own electrolyte blend, yeah. you know, really simple stuff. Most people don't even know where to source good salt. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can expand the community and you can even just remember people are watching and say, okay, for those of you at home, I want you to do this, you know, find a, a comfortable position or lay on the floor. Just, just every now and then just look at the cameras and say, Hey, you know, do this with us, you know, and invite people to join. Because I think it's, I think it's, you know, I think we all agree that it's not so much the equipment, it's the community and it's knowing what to do. I mean, 
how many people even know how to breathe right or how to stand properly, right? If you, if you just allow your facility to be, shall we say, to take the walls off of it, you could probably start a worldwide movement. And I would, I would love to see that happen. Mm. Nice, Paul. Thank you. I only want 5%. <laughs> you can get 10 you can get 10 <laughs> well for 10 i'll give you two more good ideas oh you're a fucking devil <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know my 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 devil spreads health and well-being so you know at least exactly. uh that's it's 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 you know it's a it good makes, one it makes the love keep rolling <laughs> yes 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 well guys God. Fantastic podcast. Just say your website once again in your in your Facebook. www.primalhealth.se. So S and E. Uh, same at Instagram, primalhealth.se. That's what we use. Excellent. Well, I'm really proud of you guys. Thank you for really taking the initiative to step forward, do something novel, do something needed eat it, sleep it, breathe it, shit it so that people know that it's possible and that it brings you to the place that we'd like to see everybody else. Thank you also to Ganilla and Madeline Bloomberg for uh, bringing me into awareness of Daniel and Victor and their beautiful philosophy and Jim. And I hope all of you got inspired today about what's possible. I think if, if, if every one of you listening started your own holistic primal gym and opened up your facilities for a, a, a cost effective online membership. We can cross pollinate. We can wake people up. We can inspire people. We can get the kids healthy. We can support the organic and biodynamic and regenerative farmers. I mean, this is how we do it. We do it so that we, we share. Someone pays you a little bit to learn even through video they start buying better food, supporting the right people. And we, we take this thing over as a grassroots movement. And I think this that's is how it, that's how it begins. Hmm. Paul, do you remember how we got in contact? I thought it was uh, Ganilla. Yeah, but uh, j just a fun story because uh, I was training Gunilla and uh, Madeleine. And uh, Gunilla said, oh, I really love this, Victor, because it's just like Paul Czech's training. Yeah. And we were doing like uh, breathing and stuff like that. And uh, we all said, yeah, let's meditate on Paul. And we sat down and meditated and sending love to you. And the next day you sent a mail to yeah. Uh, yeah. Gunilla and you guys haven't talked for a while. And right. she was Several. telling you. And, yeah, a couple yeah. years. Yeah, that was that cosmic. was just uh, <laughs> that, that was awesome to be a part of. Yeah, you know, it, when she she wrote me and told me about that, and I thought, you know, it, that's interesting because it was actually the day before I wrote the message. I don't. I think I was out stacking rocks or something, and I just had this feeling I needed to reach out to Ganella and say hello. <laughs> I hadn't talked. I was just all of a sudden there was just like you know how you sense that you haven't talked to somebody you love in a long time and you got to connect to them, you know? Yeah. And so I wrote her out of the blue and she wrote back and told me that I said, that's pretty trippy. Well, you know, I was, yeah. I was in a state of open, no mind. Right. So I'm very permeable to people's heart waves. And, 
and uh, you know, so yeah, that just goes to show you that that uh, the mailbox is always open over here. Yeah, man. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Proud of you. Keep it up, man. Lots of love. Yeah. So I'll just close by saying thank you to my sponsors. I hope you guys all enjoyed the podcast today. Thank you uh, for anything you buy from the sponsors that supports me and the podcast so I can find amazing guys like Daniel and Victor to share with you. And uh, I hope all of you really heard Daniel and Victor's message today. It was very powerful and very beautiful. And I also, hope, yeah, baby. And I also heard, <laughs> hope you heard that they've had to struggle through some challenging times like all of us have, but they kept their heart in it. They didn't, they didn't uh, give up and they're staying creative and, and working with tribe and, and keeping us all moving together. So this is a great blessing. You see, you guys, your efforts to keep offering people good services and share the love made it all the way to me thousands and thousands of miles away. So what you've got right in front of you is proof of how far the heart can reach and that great spirits always watching. So lots okay. of love to all of you. I look forward to sharing a great podcast with you next week, which is whenever you're listening to this, my new podcast come out every Tuesday. I'm always excited to share and, uh, Check out Victor and Daniel and sign up for their new online membership. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is done. It is done. It is done. Yes. By the power of God invested in me, I see it happening now. A holy spirit. I'll say thanks. Goodbye, everybody. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guests. Daniel and Victor Gustafsson. You can find Daniel and Victor at their training facility, Primal Health, located in Halmstad, Sweden, and online at www.primalhealth.se. There, you can find more information about the range of services and training that they offer. Now through the end of the year, you can also get 10% discount of anything and everything offered by Primal Health. Just mention this podcast when you book. You can also follow Daniel and Victor on Instagram at primalhealth.se. Connect with Paul on Instagram, TikTok and threads at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Organifi, and Paleo Valley, our podcast sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures, and our preferred product sponsor, Peak Life. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for listeners. The links are in the show notes. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.